This dopey, dopey podcast is coming in your ear with heroin academy, sobriety, and beer. Dave and that other guy, you know, the hot one, everybody wants to fuck. Just thought I'd throw in a visual for the listeners. Now you know. Good luck. So pull up a chair, start the car, let's get on the road, hey, let's go. The Dopey Podcast is starting up, welcome to the show. Episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. It's located in sunny Southern California. It was started by Bob Forrest and his friends, Jared, Evan, and Bob. Their mission to create a treatment center to help addicts and alcoholics get better by using compassion and connection instead of control. They have decades and decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. And most importantly, everyone that I've known that has gone to Oro only said amazing things. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get well, I highly suggest going to Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? Sober Buddy is an app. Sober Buddy is so much more than just an app. It is a platform. It is kind of like a social media thing where you have a feed of addicts and alcoholics who share uh, their experience, their strength, their hope, their problems. They also have Zooms every week, 11 Zooms in the Sober Buddy universe, plus new Zooms on the weekend. And I host a Sober Buddy Zoom every Wednesday, and it's pretty good. This week, our fucking Zoom was the best one we've ever had. So if you want to be in a sober community, it's pretty cheap. One month is like less than two cups of coffee. They do a 30-day trial. Check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com, or they're also available on the App Store or at the Google Play Store. So check it out, YourSoberBuddy.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Soberlink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. 
Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can totally help you. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test or whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help you. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com dopey. That's www.soberlink.com dopey. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by The Phoenix. The Phoenix is an app. It is an incredible app. It is free. It is this amazing app that gets addicts and alcoholics in recovery together to explore having fun. Their specialties are physical fitness and music and art. They have a pickleball league. They do so much cool, fun stuff to make sure that addicts and alcoholics can have community and togetherness. All that they ask of you is to have two days clean and sober. I mean, for some, that's asking a lot. For others, it isn't. If you're looking to get involved and you want to do something fun, check out www.thephoenix.org. We're also doing an event with them at the end of April in New Orleans. So stand by. We'll have information about that. The Phoenix is incredible. They do yoga, hiking, music, art. You can find and connect with others who are in recovery, sober, curious, family members that have addicts and alcoholics in their family. Check them out at thephoenix.org or even better, www.thephoenix.org slash find a class or www.thephoenix.org slash movement. Check out The Phoenix. And welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and I'm on a Zoom call across the pond to the one and only Lowe's of Brutal Recovery. Welcome back to the show. I, uh, I love being here, and I hope that everyone appreciates that I have a mic this time so you can get my my dulcet tones in a higher quality. I'm very excited about it. So they're not going to understand your new uh higher what do you call it what is it called higher fuck what's the word for higher better audio higher resolution quality. higher quality resolution. <laughs> still the same scottish accent now in higher resolution you lucky things like there's only five million scottish people in the world so the fact that you've got one in your show and it's in high resolution like we are in for <laughs> Why am I talking myself up so much? If people are in this for the first time, they're going to be like, who the fuck is this egomaniac? <laughs> Listen, that you, sounds funny. I think you should celebrate yourself. You are great. Do not doubt yourself for a second. Thank you. Or the Scottish people out there. Let's we'll give a big <laughs> shout out to Scotland. You know, I just got an email from a Scottish lady, too. Do you want to hear the quick Scottish no lady? She writes, Can I please hear it? She writes, 
Hi, Dave. Just wanted to drop you a message to tell you how much I fucking love Dopey. No, I can't do this. <laughs> I fucking love Dopey. I've been listening for a couple of years now and I've never skipped an episode because even when you're talking Aww. about completely random shit, you're fucking hilarious. That's nice. I had six months clean and sober, then had a bit of a slip, but I'm back at it with a month today. Nice. Yay. Anytime I feel like shit, all I have to do is go back to the early episodes and listen to you giving Chris shit for his SMI or his constant mispronunciation of the word room. Because Chris would say rum. <laughs> you can never say rum. Go back to my rum. And, and uh, SMI we called severe mental illness. And I feel better. Hearing Chris's laugh never fails to put a smile on my face. And it was actually listening to Dopey that inspired me to go back to school to study psychology in the process of getting my master's degree. Anyway, just wanted to tell you how much your show means to me and everyone in the Dopey Nation. Stay strong and lots of love from Scotland. Hey, all my fellow country women. Yes. Right? So what's up oh. with you, Lowe's? How is the book coming? How is your recovery? How is the world of brutal recovery? What's going on? What's going on? Uh, so on, oh, big, big stuff. On March the 6th, uh, I turned five years sober. Wow. Uh, Hold on. Let so me see if this, can you hear this? I've, you hear that? No, was, I can't hear on that. On my end, there was applause. So, yay. <laughs> Congratulations. That's great. I feel it in my heart. Yes. Yeah. So, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been really good. Uh, honestly, like, uh, my kind of couple of months leading up to five, and everyone kept saying, like, oh, when I was coming up on five, like, it was really hard. Like, uh, it was really, you know, someone literally said to me, like, oh, when I was about to turn five, I wanted to kill myself. And I was like, Okay. And I said to when I when I turned four and a half, like I said to my friends with like eight years, uh, like, oh, people say that like five is really hard. And he was like, So what? You're just gonna be miserable for six months. Like, just show up and see what happens. But like I did feel really funny kind of the months before. And like that was like, you know, to be expected, because like I just turned 30, like I turned 30 in January. So it was nice. like, you know, two kind of big things happening within a short amount of time. So uh yeah, but the uh, since then. And I don't, you know, it's not like I magically turned over a period of time and everything was okay, but I do feel like kind of, kind of someone described it as like an integration of self. So like, you know, I do, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty comfy right now. Um, personally, like I have been writing like an absolute fucking maniac. Like I have been taking Stephen King seriously. Like I write for 2000 words a day. I read for two hours a day. Like that is my job right now. Um, except it's not my job. I still do have a job. I'm just not doing it very well right now. So <laughs> all the time um yeah and like life-wise uh did I tell you I moved in uh, I moved in with my boyfriend and now cohabitating with uh yeah with with uh with him so yeah like all that to say like I'm kind of I'm kind of acting like an adult it's all happening last. so what are you doing for what are you doing for work right now Right now, I am. So I'm teaching piano at the moment. I'm teaching piano, teaching singing largely to kids, some adults as well. I've got some exciting adult students that, um, that I really enjoy working with. But yeah, largely at the moment, like in, you know, music, uh, the money is teaching small, rich children. <laughs> and that's, um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's fine. I'm I'm not a children person. Like you know, I'm, I might have them one day, but like I don't I don't relate well to kids because like I speak to kids like I would speak to an adult, and I've got quite like a I'm very verbose. Like I don't filter my vocabulary, so I find it really difficult to speak to children because like <laughs> just hilarious because it's my job to speak to children. But like um, yeah, and I'm I, like there was this one kid like she was crying because she couldn't play a piece in the piano, and I was just like. 
I was like, honey, like you don't have to cry about that. Like you should cry <laughs> about things like famine. And she was like, what's famine? And I was like, uh, okay. So, and then I like started to describe what famine was. And I was like, I just don't think that I should talk to children. That's not a normal situation for me. So how did you explain famine to her? I said, well, you know, sometimes, well, where I wanted to go was I wanted to talk about the about the Irish potato famine and how it was like the English's fault. Um, but and, and I do this like when I teach singing, I give them lots of Scots songs and Scots songs are literally just like everything bad the English did. So like I'll give them the song and I'll be like, so back in the day when your people wanted to kill mine, this is what we saw. <laughs> that was great. Give us, a little, so, like, give us a little Scottish ditty for a sec. Do you want to hear a song? Um, oh my God. I, I'm trying not to blow it's microphone because I'm quite loud. Uh, right, what should I sing? I should say, oh, I'll sing the Skyboat song because everyone knows that because it was on Outlander. Uh, so, so this is from Outlander fans out there, which I have not watched, uh, but I live it every day of my life. Uh, so it goes, Speed bunny boat like a bird on the wind, for the sailors cry. Carry the lad who's born to be king over the sea to sky. That's that. Incredible. You just upped the, the, <laughs> the velocity, the listenability of the show by so that was amazing, Lowe's. I'm, I'm amazed. That's so beautiful. Oh my God. Well, that was my old job. Like I was a I was a singer. Like I was a singer singer. Um and then it was in it was in COVID that I decided I didn't really want to do that anymore. And I wanted to say uh well I didn't know that once to write at first. Um at first I kind of uh just was depressed for a while and thought that I'd wasted my life. Um but it was like, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, the, the singing thing has, uh, you know, I, I loved it as a job, but like, I just, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I was like, oh my God, I chose this job. Like when I was about five and I'm still doing it and I don't really, you know, um, so but yeah, like I still, the, the best thing is like, cause my friends now, cause you know, a lot of my friends are new friends cause I moved to London just about two and a half years ago. Uh, so they don't know that I'm an opera singer. Like they don't know that I was like a professional singer. It's so, like if we're ever in like, you know, a birthday setting and they're looking for a happy birthday and it's like, oh, here's, here's Laws. Like she's our, she's our sober friend cause she was a drug addict once. Um, and then I'll like start singing like an operatic happy birthday. And people are just looking at me like, what the fuck is this woman? Like what, what is she, why is she? <laughs> Why is she so anything? Well, like, that that song wasn't operatic, but it was very beautiful. And uh, and you. I bet you, when you deal with children like they're adult, they're adults. Besides making them cry over famines and 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 mistreating Scottish and Irish people, when you get past all that, <laughs> I'm sure it's good that you don't treat them like idiots. It's good to talk to children in a way yeah. where you offer them some respect. It's good to respect. Them. I think so. I think one of the, uh, I like that because I've got a couple of like, you know, particularly like, you know, teenage girls because like, you know, so I teach like, you know, the eight, from ages like four uh, to about 16. So like, I really enjoy like, you know, being a teenage girl and being like, I was fucking weirdo when I was a teenage girl. Like I had an eating disorder. Like I was already drinking alcoholically. I was experimenting with drugs. Like I was so like mentally ill. So like when, you know, I see these like you know 12 year old 13 year old girls like on the precipice of this world it's like being like a kind of safe person for them and like I can't say it explicitly because I'm there to teach them the piano but like I'm trying to like telepathically like tell them like 
it's going to be okay. It's totally like going to go through this. Um, yeah, but it is, it is really, really weird because like, uh, you know, I, I started drinking and doing drugs when I was about like 13, 14. So when I see 13 year olds and I'm like, wow, a child, I'm like, oh fuck, was I actually a child? Like when I was doing all of that stuff. Right. It's wild. That's, that's unusual. My older daughter just turned 13. And I think like, I, I yeah. like, I like, I like fooled around with a girl when I was 13. And like, I don't think my, I don't, you know, I have no idea what my daughter is doing or not doing, but I don't think she's doing drugs or fooling around or I think the phone has really changed everything and kids don't do bad stuff besides go on the phone now. I think that's all kids yes. kids are doing instead of like fucking and doing drugs and drinking and fooling around. They just on their phones and doing be real. Do you and think stuff. as well, like there's that idea that because everything is so not like everything's so broadcastable now. And there, like there is so much fucked up shit that I've done that like I am grateful every day of my life that there was not camera phones when I was young. Like there was only like word of mouth. So like do you think that, you know, kids to do are like kind of uh put off being as disgraceful in public as we were? Because of like the potential of that, the potential of having it I don't immortalized. Think, I don't think it's that. I mean, maybe. I think it's more that the phone is so seductive and there's so much stuff that's happening is that it sucks them in on all these levels where maybe we were oh. bored. We were bored mm -hmm. and like we only had so many options. But for some reason, I think yeah. also the phone it validates children in a way that we weren't mm. validated when we were children. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and before we say anything else, I need to say this. Lizzie Savetsky's on the show today. She was, she was almost on, she was sort of on Real Housewives of New York. She is a Instagram influencer like you are and an alcoholic like we are. And uh, so that's cool. <laughs> and I want to ask you this, when you celebrate mm -hmm. here, right? And in, in America, in New York, uh, when I celebrated five years, this lady said, now you got your marbles back. At 10, you learn how to use them. And she gives me a jar of marbles. Do they do that for you? I got marbles. Yeah, someone gave me marbles. Nice. And the person, the person that said that to me is one of my favorite people on earth. And he's, you know, he's, he's from Yorkshire. I can't do a Yorkshire accent. Do a little. Like he, Give us a little. Said, Come on. I can't. No, I, I will not. I will not injustice this this wonderful man by imitating a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> and if anyone is from Yorkshire, they'll be really upset. I can't do accents. Like I, I can. This is the only accent I've got. You can't do like, a Long Island. Do you them. can't do a Long Island woman's accent. No, and I lived with someone from Long Island for a year. Like I would have at least like you thought like you know I would have at least had a little bit of that. I just, I just can't do it. Like I speak language as well, but I don't do accents. Like if you give me like the phonetic breakdown and like maybe right. like the, you know, the, how it was constructed, like right, I could right. give it a shot, but I just cannot do it by ear. Um, but, but yeah, he said that exact same thing to me. And one of my friends, one of my early recovery friends actually in Connecticut uh, sent me, sent me some marbles in the post and I just, I go, oh my God, I love shit like that. Like I'm so about the, I'm so about like the, the cliches. I'm so about the, like all of that stuff. So like, I feel yeah, and I, like my my boyfriend is not in recovery, um, but you know he's I, I talk about it with him and stuff, and he like I said like oh they say it five years that like, you get your marbles back, and he said to me like on the day he was like how does it feel to have your marbles back? <laughs> I was like oh. <laughs> he seems very sweet. <laughs> 
Oh, he's lovely. He's the best. Shout out. And he's, yeah. and he's not an alcoholic nor a drug addict. No, he's not um, at all. Like, it's really... Uh, uh, my partner before him, the one uh, I got sober in a relationship, uh, and that he he was sober and he was, uh, um, he was uh, you know, in recovery. So, and I, I thought I was going to marry that man. So I was just like, oh, I'm set for life. Like, I'll never have to deal with, like, the, you know, alcoholic, all in on, like, sort of situation. And... But but yeah, he's my, my my boyfriend. He's he's very normal. He's very well adjusted. And you know what's the most amazing thing about him is he's naturally helpful. Like he he has like a habit in his phone, like his habit tracker. One of his habits that he checks every day was like, "Have I helped someone?" Wow. Like it's just normal to him to be helpful. And like um, he came he came to the I mean where I picked up my chip and he was like, oh, should I put the chairs away? And I was like, what the fuck? Like I had to engineer that so hard in myself. And he just comes by honestly, which is probably why he doesn't need what we need. But um, yeah. And he's, he's first, like, I remember when we first met, like on our first date, I obviously was not drinking. Um, and he, you know, he was like, oh, like for any particular reason, you know, just quite curiously. And I was like, oh, you know, it just doesn't mix well with me. Like, you know, I'm better without it. Um, I like to be present uh, or something like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's probably like a good thing because he's a he's a doctor. So he was like, yeah, I've, I've seen what happens to like alcoholics, like through surgery. And I was like, oh, you know, it's just like, next question, next question, next question. Uh, but it obviously did come up. And like when, you know, I, you know, I was like slipping off in the mornings during my morning meetings and, you know, I never questioned it. And then, you know, I eventually told him like somewhere down the line, like, just so you know, like, I'm not just like a non-drinker, like I'm actually in recovery and like it's really serious. Like it's something that I've got to take very seriously because the, the reason I'm sober is because like I almost fucking died. And uh, he was so unfazed by it. Like I was expecting, I was expecting something. Uh, and he was just like, oh, okay. It'd be like, awesome cool. if it's like, it's like if he followed Brutal Recovery on Instagram, <laughs> but he didn't know <laughs> that you were Brutal Recovery and you have to run off on the dates and post something and you'd be like, oh, I'll be right back. And then he's looking at I'll the phone and he's like, oh my God, this Brutal Recovery is so funny. And you're like, oh yeah. Like, like it's like the comic book superhero, but you're, you know, lows by day oh and Brutal God, Recovery by night and he doesn't know. And then you're posting and then you're like, I need to tell you something. It is me. <laughs> I am brutal recovery. But you didn't. You didn't tell him you were an. How long did it take before you told him you were an alcoholic? So I waited a while because my tendency in relationships before was to use it as like a bargaining chip to like make people be like to take care of me to be like oh like I'm this fragile broken woman and like I'm being so brave please love me or on the other hand to be like listen like I don't fucking need you like I've been to hell and back you have no idea what I've survived like those were like my two modes so like um I yeah this this uh we we started dating uh last December so December 2021 and uh like I was really conscious this time like I really 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 took my time like I was like okay like before I get to that part of my life like I've got to go through interests principles family like you know what I like to do all of those things so like when uh you know we eventually started to get closer like on an emotional level and like I I knew him and it was kind of it was about the time that I was kind of like I feel very seriously about this person. So like, I kind of owe him this like little part of, not that I owe him anything, but I was like, if I'm to get closer to this person, like it would be, it would benefit us both if it was a little bit more 
transparent about this and also because like sometimes my recovery is quite inconvenient like you know um, my phone is never not fucking ringing and uh, you know I've, I've got to go to fucking community centers like you know however many times a week so uh, but he, he's never you know he's never questioned it he's never said like oh this is annoying like or why do you still do that like you've got five years now like he's he's really supportive and he thinks it's quite funny like he's just like does he know like, okay, th- does he do know something. about like the Instagram and, and what you do and all this stuff. He does. He loves it. Like, he thinks it's so funny. Like, <laughs> he does it. Like, I think it's, I mean, maybe he'll disagree with me, but like some of them, like he doesn't get, like the ones that are like really specific, like the, like only we, because of like our shared experience would get, like he can understand in some way that that's funny. Like he can laugh at it because he knows that it's funny to me. Um, but some of like the more like general ones that I do about like mental health and dating and like being a human being, he <laughs> thinks it's funny. And also his friends follow me, like some of his friends prior to dating me and like, um, he's now got some of, you know, his friends, like, cause some of his friends live in America. So they're like, uh, he's like, oh my, my girlfriend has this Instagram. So follow me. And it's so funny. Like, I, I love it. Like, cause it very well could have been that. It was like, why do you act like a crazy slot on the internet? Like, why are you doing this? But I was very clear with them that I was like, yeah, like it's hyperbolic. It's retro- retrospective. Like there is a line of truth in it, but the line of truth is that recovery, like all of the other stuff is kind of like an exaggeration. So we're going to do an email that I just got. And then we're going to hear from Lizzie. You with me? Yay. Unless Let's you go. Have, unless you have some horrible LSD on the eyeballs story you want to bust out real quick. Do you ever do liquid LSD on your eyeballs? I never did liquid LSD on my eyeballs. Is that a yet? And Wait, did you? No, I've always, I always wish I had. I never had the, no one ever showed up with the, the Marine bottle. It's all I ever wanted and it never happened for me. I've always told you that. I think I've said this in an episode before, but the only drug I was ever discouraged from taking was LSD. Really? That's the only drug that everyone, that people said, like, do never do LSD. They're like, okay, like you're going to drink. Like if you're going to do Ekis, like stay hydrated. If you're going to do heroin, stay safe. Never do LSD. That was, that was my drug education. It's very interesting. Very interesting. All right, and now so all these so, and them. now and now all these sober sober uh, microdosing people like it's a thing, like it's a it's, it's a, such it's, a thing. It's, yeah, it's very interesting. Anyway, here we go. Dear Dave, uh, I'm catching up on my dopey episodes, and I'm a little more than halfway through the Pam Gaslow episode, and I had to stop and write in. First of all, I want to say thanks for having someone who suffers from weed addiction on the show. I feel like there mm. is a major bias in society and the recovery community about being addicted to weed. And I just wanted to write in and say that you can certainly be addicted to weed or pretty much anything that alters your mood and helps you disassociate from your life. I've been addicted to pills, have drank myself to sleep, have dabbled a bit too much in party drugs, and have had way too many relationship problems to even track. That being said, nothing has been harder for me to quit or has had a hold on me as much as weed has. When I started smoking at 14, I pretty much immediately became an everyday, all-day stoner and lived inside the confines of my sweet psychedelic world for all of my teens and most of my 20s. I, too, am a fellow neurotic Jew who can't handle alcohol with my poor Jewish stomach, and then she hashtags hot hot girls with IBS. And when I got completely sober, (laughs) I didn't even know who I was without weed and my stoner identity. I've never written in a dopey story for fear of my story not being dopey enough, but have related to the mental anguish, obsession, and pain expressed by every guest. Weed heeds need. 
that can't be what it's a oh, weed heads. Weeds, eats, needs. Sorry, weed heads need to be represented so that people that think they might have a problem can get the help they need instead of waking up ten or twenty years down the road and finding out they have smoked their lives away, their talent, their potential, mm. and uh, depression. I walked into my first AA meeting when I was twenty and spent the next seven years getting insanely high, thinking my addiction wasn't hardcore enough. Keep doing what you do. Sincerely, Rachel from Miami Beach and proud recovering stoner in the dopey nation. Oh, she sent in a song and she said, thanks for encouraging me to write a dopey song and playing it on the show. And shout out to your dad, the true hero of the dopey podcast. Okay, that's going to go to his head. I should take that part out. That's totally going to go to his head. No. Now, tell me, Lowe's, what do you think? I think this email is fascinating and you're you're so vested in recovery and you deal with public recovery and people not thinking you're hardcore enough or this or that. What's your take on the email? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I was doing a little, I was writing about this uh, a couple of days ago because like, um, I, I was thinking of my friend who he, he wanted to go to the gym and he was like, you know, he's like an averagely shaped sized man. And he was at the gym and he was like fucking terrified. Like, so he was like, I don't know what machines to use. Like, and he was like on the bench, like Googling what machines to use. Um, and he was like, he's, he was like, wait, what the fuck am I scared of? Like, who, who is this person? Who is this like Uber, like Ideal. gym person? Right. Like, who's this, who's the gym gatekeeper? And like, it's so interesting because like I was, I went, when I was writing about this, like I was saying like, so, so I've never been to rehab, like I've been detox, but like I've never been to rehab. So like, I always thought that like, even though I was a, like, it's like, this is kind of like tiered score system. So I was like, well, I'm in the elite class of like drank alone every day. I'm in the class of like was jaundice. I'm in the class of like, you know, X, Y, Z. Oh, but I think go to rehab. So like I'm not a real Hold you on, know, what was the first thing you said drawing cologne? Thing. What was that? Drinking alone. <laughs> Oh, okay, good. I was like, well, I, I was scared you drank. Just picking up so much of my accent. <laughs> I, I was sure. I was sure you said drinking cologne. I was like, that's terrible, Lowe's. No, drinking alone. Well, we. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's like it's so it's so interesting. And then like when I'm when I'm doing this like score up in my head of like how bad was I? Like how like you know, cause because there are people that tell me like, oh, you know, and I got sober when I was 25. So they're like, oh, you were just like a girl with a problem, like you're not like an actual like someone that really needed help, like this person. But like these people are all imaginary, like it's all just this like weird, I don't know, like who's the who is this arbiter and the, who is this gatekeeper of what makes you bad enough to want recovery like I, I think for me partly part of it exists inside myself like because I haven't you know there's many things that I didn't lose so I'm like well they're still there um but like it's it's so funny and like I you know weed was not a drug of choice for me like it gave me psychosis so like I it was pretty it was a non-starter <laughs> for me um but also like you know cocaine wasn't for me either and then I say that and I'm like oh my god was I even a drug addict and it's like well he did all as I said like at the very start he did almost fucking die and even if I didn't die I wasn't living so it's like I'm so so someone messaged me once like I you know I think I'm addicted to to weed and like for some reason like I just didn't I was like yeah like if you think that of course you are like I don't understand the the idea that people would think that that's not a real addiction or like that's not something that's valid because, you know, the the pain threshold is real, right? Yeah, I mean, like, 
I, I, you know, I was a heroin addict, but, but weed was the hardest thing that I stopped doing also. Like I could totally, really? oh, I was such a pothead and, and I, I was so about it. And, and a lot of people, I mean, when we started Dopey, the point was to tell these crazy stories. And as the show evolved, you know, it's about addiction. It's about compulsion. It's about not being able to sit in, mm. your, in your own skin. It's about, about like, what are you willing to do to not be yourself or what do you need to do to be, to make yourself comfortable? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it can be anything and we're all the same, but there is a yeah. big backlash. There was a big backlash from the Pam, <laughs> Pam episode and people talk shit. And, um, but then there was also this, there's both. And it's like, mm -hmm. I, I think, I think when you get to recovery, you find that the, the best thing is the solution is the same for weed addicts yeah. and heroin addicts and alcoholics. <laughs> and then like when you go to Narcotics Anonymous, they say you can't mess around with this. Alcohol is a drug. I mean, it's all it's like mm -hmm. and, and I think we're all way better off being on the same page than being like, I'm more hardcore than you and whatever. It's yeah. such a waste of fucking time. <laughs> But um, I know what joyless existence. Well, I, I, I've been judgmental and, and a jerk off myself, so I can relate. But I like yeah. this topic, and 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 you know, to introduce introduce Lizzie, uh, Lizzie Savetsky came to my house, and she's like, I'm an alcoholic, and uh, she didn't want to talk about drugs. And she actually brought her assistant Ronit to make sure she didn't talk <laughs> about drugs. But her alcoholic experience was a profound story. So let's play Lizzie. Mm -hmm. Let's play Lizzie. Okay, you ready, Lowe's? Lowe's and Lizzie. I'm ready. Let's two, go. Two L's. Oh. And, 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 and Britta, who's our resident art maker, has made some really cool Lowe's and Lizzie art that I need to show you. So I'll show you. Oh, wait to see this. Okay, here's Lizzie. Before we get to Lizzie, I want to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. When was the last time you learned something new about yourself? I feel like when I'm coasting, I don't learn anything about myself. But when I talk to a therapist, it's easier to see what's going on and how I can learn a little bit. Therapy is an incredible mirror to hold up to myself so I know who I am and where I'm at. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Things happen. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Therapy has been incredibly helpful in a few areas of my life. I cannot suggest it enough if you're struggling. Talking to somebody that isn't you can really, really help. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. It's better to talk to someone besides yourself. They can help you see what the fuck is going on. Also, before we get to Lizzie Savetsky, I want to tell you guys about a podcast. It's called Recovery in the Middle Ages. It is all about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. 
Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step. They talk about dopey medical research and their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew. You can check out Recovery in the Middle Ages wherever you find your podcasts. Check them out. It's a great show. And now here is Lizzie Savetsky. I'm in my dad's kitchen with a very famous Jewish woman, Lizzie Savetsky from X Real Housewives, hardcore Instagram. What am I not supposed to say? She brought her assistant, Ronit. And, and, she, and Ronit is like a nervous wreck that Lizzie's going to ruin her career here. And they're eyeing each other, speaking in some sort of telepathic Jewish said, woman language. So what did I say wrong there? Ex-real housewife. I mean, I guess it's, it's you know, I'm still a real housewife of my own life, just not, not a TV show real housewife, I guess. So, yeah. You're an ex-real housewife of New York star. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, almost real housewife, maybe. What does that mean? You were never on. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm not going to be on. Oh, Ronit's going to ruin the whole fucking show. <laughs> Ronit, what's the fucking problem? <laughs> but yes, I was cast on the show and now I'm no longer on it. Oh God, this is not going to go well. <laughs> it's such a juicy, crazy story, but our show is not about Jews and Gentiles and race and ethnicity well, and, and all that. It's about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Yeah. And you are recently sober, so I'm mazel tov on that. Thank you, Which honey. is awesome. Yes, I'm very grateful. Thank God, by the grace of God. Okay, let's start there, right? Mm-hmm. You're very Jewish. I'm extreme. I'm, I'm like as Jewish as you can be, but I'm not like, I'm, I'm like not married. I had kids with a Gentile. Yeah. Two half Jewish children. But I, I'm... You know, my blood is very pure. Yeah, you you strike me as strong Jew. Very Jew. Yeah. Right? I struggled in the beginning in terms of my sobriety with higher power yeah. stuff. Yeah. And um, I went to Hebrew school at Gramercy Park. All I learned about was that Israeli one Israeli tank was as good as 10 Jordanian tanks or something. I learned about Israeli tanks and I learned about uh, irrigation. Okay. And the land of milk and honey. So it was a very Zionist. Yes. Big time. Hebrew school. Big time. But what I didn't understand was God, you know, Jewish God. And when I got sober in the first place, I had grown up with this kid and he became a rabbi. And I invited him to come meet me because I wanted to talk about God. I wanted to, I wanted to incorporate the fact that I was such a card carrying member of the chosen people with needing a higher power. And how could I align those two things? Yeah. And he gave me nothing. Zero. That's so when you so got so, I know he didn't send me any. He told mm-hmm. me I literally grew up with this kid. Mm-hmm. Like now he's a forty-eight-year-old rabbi who lives in Israel, and he didn't send a fucking thing. Fascinating. I'm not going to shame him on my show because I still have some love for him. Okay. He was one of the leads in our West Side Story production in Ooh, 1986. I love West Side Story. The same production that inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda Shut to become up. Lin-Manuel Miranda. No way. Yes, Okay, indeed. so maybe it was the rabbi. You blame him. No, maybe he you know, inspired Lin. It, he was very, very charismatic. Yeah. What I want to know is, because I've heard you talk about God. You just mentioned God. Yeah. Is it Jewish God? Is it a God of your understanding? How do you deal with it? So I found God. <laughs> um, I was, uh, you know, it's funny, in the past couple days in, um, in recovery, I've heard two different people on two different days in two different places say, 
I'm a bagel Jew. And I didn't never heard that before. What does that mean? A bagel Jew, according to these people, means that they are Jewish atheists, like Jewish of the Jewish people, but not of the Jewish religion, which I think is confusing to some people. But Judaism isn't just a religion. It's not just a belief system, but it is a people, you know. And my dad would would never call himself a bagel Jew. He calls himself an Orthodox atheist. Yeah, is what my dad calls himself. That's a, yeah, and I know so many people like that. And I wouldn't say that's how I was raised, but I somehow came to that. I mean, I think. Were you raised Orthodox in Texas? No, I was raised conservative. But um, I was raised conservative. You too. were, yeah. So you know, conservative mean for those out there who don't know, that means that you believe in the same rules and values as Orthodox Judaism. You just don't really keep them all because you don't think it really aligns with our life today because it's less hard. practicing. Yes, less practicing. Exactly. Same beliefs. Yes, yeah, same beliefs. So whereas I think reform guitar maybe, playing women rabbis. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole mess. Yeah, it's yeah. You said it. But God bless anyone who wants to bring any spirituality into this world. I'm all for it in whatever form they want to do it, um, as long as it's not hurting anyone. So, so Lizzie, tell yeah, me about so, like how you, how did you incorporate? Like, you did you need a higher power so, when you yeah, got sober? No, so I want to. So okay, so I became Orthodox in college, and part of that was because. Wow. Part of that was because, you know, we often talk about this spiritual malady, this God-sized hole that we have as addicts and alcoholics, and I had that, and I was really seeking to fill it with all sorts of external things. And so I, I knew that I was leading myself down a destructive path even when I was, you know, 21, 22 years old. And so I, um, I ended up finding this uh, Jewish outreach organization on NYU's campus getting super involved with it, really found a lot of meaning there and moved to Israel the year after college to wow. really focus on, on my Jewish identity. And that was getting stronger, but you know, so was my addictions and so was my uh, self-destructive behavior. So I always had God in my life, even when the times are bad. And so when I got sober, I had a higher power already. I was very lucky. You know, I think a lot of times for people who are first getting sober and they've never had a relationship with God, I think it could be a lot harder. I was very blessed in that sense that I already had that connection. It was just I didn't have the other component, which was, you know, a program, a, a connection with other people who were like me. Totally. Now, when did you start using stuff? So I had my first drink in, I think I was in seventh grade. I was pretty young. My best friend and my cousin and I were at my house and we waited until my parents went to bed. And we, I, it was my idea. I was always the ringleader with these things and I peer pressured them. I was like, let's try drinking. And I knew where my parents kept the liquor. My parents never drank. You I were had, like 13. Yes. I had never. Bat mitzvah? Yes. Post-bat mitzvah. I had never been around drunk people. My parents never drank, but I knew that we had alcohol in the house and I was very curious about it. And so I thought this would be like a great way to try it. You know, it'd be our contained little. So we waited till they went to bed and we, we got a bottle of Jack Daniels and we poured it and glasses. And I remember I took out a bottle of apple juice because it looked like similar color. Wow. And that way, if anyone woke up, I'd be like, we're just having some juice. Um, you had it all set up. Yeah. But we didn't know how much to drink because we were like children you were children. Yes, we were children. And so um, I just remember we drank way too much. And my cousin ended up getting really sick. Um, and it was the day after Thanksgiving. And I think we said she had like food, 
poisoning or something. And nobody questioned us because nobody would have ever thought, like, I have to paint this picture for you. I was maybe 13 or 14, but I looked like I was eight. Like I was a very late bloomer and really like grew up super sheltered. Like I don't think anyone would have been suspicious that I was like up to no good or anything like that. So nobody really questioned us. And after that, I didn't have a drink again until ninth grade. I was at a party. I was sleeping over. Did you get sick when you were 13? I didn't. No. But you were just like, it didn't have that much of an impact. I didn't have that much of an impact. I was kind of like, I was kind of jarred by the fact that my cousin got sick and was throwing up. And I guess I I wasn't scared, but I wasn't all that enticed to do it again. It wasn't like this aha moment or anything like that. I was like, okay, I tried the drinking thing. That was like, I liked doing this like rebellious, naughty thing I wasn't supposed to do more than I actually liked the thing. Yeah. How old are your kids? 10 and eight. my, My old three, 10, eight and two. Yeah. Amazing. My older daughter is 13 now. Yeah. So like I hear this story and it's just like, ugh. you know, and I think I am under the understanding that phones, although they are the root of all evil, are keeping kids like from drinking and doing drugs at an, and fucking at an early age. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Why is that? Oh, because they're, they're just distracted. Yeah, they're so obsessed with their oh, phone. They're not interested. That's fascinating. It is. Oh, that's reassuring. Okay, good. In a way. You'd but, be addicted to that phone. You go for it. But they're addicted to the phone. And we don't know what the outcome of well, screen we have addiction no idea. is. No, we don't. So you're now you're in high school. Yeah. And you drink again. Yeah, I was uh, sleeping over at this girl. She, uh, We were on the cheerleading squad together, and she was a year older, and she had, like, no rules. Her mom wanted her to be cool, so she she took me to some party with her. Her parents, like, dropped us off at this, like, house party with no super – I think, actually, the parents were there drinking out of the keg, too. No. I promise you. Texans? Jewish Texans or non-Jews? No, not Jews. Non-Jews. Jewish Texans, Texans would never drink mm. out of a keg at a, at a no. kid's keg there were party. No, there were not a lot of Jews – that I that I grew up around, other than my best friend. And Ronit's a Jewish Texan. Yes, Your Ronit assistant. is a Jewish Texan. She's a I call her my sister, by the way, because she's my assistant, but she's kind of my sister. I call her my show ruiner. Yes. <laughs> anyway. She is all the things. Yes. That's true. Continue. Yes. So anyway, I'm at this party and I remember like everyone's like smoking. And I saw this guy who was like my brother's grade, three years older, and he like lit up a cigarette and he was smoking. And I was like, oh my God, that's so hot. I still looked super young and I remember feeling so insecure. Like I was looking around at this party and these kids were like drinking and like some people were like making out. And I just, I was like. Very sophisticated. Yeah. And I was, and I remember this guy was kind of like touching me. Like I think I was wearing a shirt that showed my stomach and I think he like touched my stomach and, um, and I got really uncomfortable and I was holding this beer And all of a sudden, like, all the things that my mom had told me about drinking, like, came back, like, if you drink, you will lose control and bad things will happen to you. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want that to happen here because I feel like this is a very out of control situation and I'm nervous. Like, I don't like this guy, you know, pawing me. I could tell he was drunk. So, I mean, it was multifaceted. Not the hot cigarette smoking guy. No. Different guy. If he had been touching me, maybe it would have been a different different story. Right. Yeah. And I just remember having, like, fear and, but also being, like intrigued, you know, and wanting to fit in and not feeling like I did. But I didn't get drunk that night. But I did drink the beer and I was like, this is kind of gross, but it was a remedy for the fear. A little bit. Yeah. I mean the first time I drank, I drank to blackout. Like I I drank I was at a summer camp. I was a waiter at a summer camp. Oh my God. And uh how old are you? I was like 15, 16, something like that. And I was I was depressed. 
I didn't have friends there. Mm. It was bad. Like I spent the summer lying on a hill on the side of a field, Aww. like listening to Abbey Road and staring That's at the like sky. That's like the saddest story I've it ever It was heard. so sad. And I was only friends with the kitchen so staff. you probably loved the feeling of being drunk. I don't even remember. I think I was uh. 15 or 16. I drank 15 or 16 screwdrivers. I blacked out and I barely drank again. That's oh probably why I became a drug addict. Um, so interesting. But at what point are you starting to, but I did it because I was so, out of it you know what i mean like i was it was like the first time that my alcoholism really showed itself yeah you know but it wasn't necessarily the drinking that showed itself it was the total feeling of not belonging for sure and i i know that feeling i went to school in manhattan where lin-manuel miranda went to school on the upper east side i mean i'm much older than him but um i had the same friends from when i was like four i still have them so right. it wasn't until I wasn't with them that all of my alcoholism addict shit yeah. kicked in because I was probably- Your security blanket was gone. 100%. So when do you start drinking to a point where it's like, hmm, this is my tool to fit in. This is my way to have fun. So I started that, um, you know, I drank throughout high school. Like I remember there being moments of that feeling like- the, the guy that I like had a thing for was like making out with another girl. So, you know, I'm going to like take 17 shots and puke my brains out, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, in high school, yeah, in high school, but not, but it wasn't like, a, it wasn't, it was like, yes, it was a medication, but it wasn't a regular routine for me. You know, I didn't, I, I still wasn't like, I wasn't drinking all the time or anything like that, but I had used it for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't forecast alcoholism at that no. point. No. Oh my God. Even up until I finally surrendered, I was like, I can't be an alcoholic. Like nobody in my family drinks. But I found out actually that my uh, ancestors were bootleggers in Europe. So apparently they did drink. See, it was possible my great grandfather was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's unsure, mm-hmm. but it's a great Jewish story mm-hmm. where it was Passover and my family went to the Catskills to oh, yeah. do Passover. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess they go to the Catskills to do Passover. And my great-grandfather shows up. And uh, he's supposed to you know, lead be, the Seder. Lead the Seder and be well-dressed and stuff. But he didn't bring his shoes. Instead, ah. he brought a bottle of whiskey. And the great line was, Vili, you bring the whiskey, but you forget your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, that's the only, like, trace of alcoholism in, yeah. in my family besides me. Uh, did you smoke weed in high school? Was that yeah, a thing? Yeah, Did you I like did. weed? No. I, I was, for me, it was kind of like how I feel about sushi. Like, I really wanted to like it. Yeah. Because, like, everyone else likes it, and it seems like it's a good idea, but it just was never my thing. I feel like that about jam. sushi, too. I really love weed, though. Oh, yeah. Sushi I'm starting to like now. Yeah, I'm, I just, I finally just said you this gave isn't up. for me. Yeah, I gave up. I just, you know, I just own it. I don't like sushi. I don't. And you didn't like pot. I didn't like pot. I tried. I get really paranoid. I I mean, I had like a, I get it. I understand it. Like I've had the. No, it's all neurochemistry. It's all brain chemistry. Yeah. What you might like and what you might not like. It's definitely not my jam. No. I hated Coke. Coke yeah. did not suit me. I, w- yeah. I was so up. That if I did coke, I got uncomfortable. Interesting. I, I loved uh, downers. You needed to be sedated. I loved downers. Yeah. I loved weed. I really liked psychedelics. So are you not a caffeine person? I love caffeine. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So you're not too up for caffeine. No, I. Could, but I'm like unaffected by caffeine. Like I could uh, drink coffee at like 
10 oh shit and still be asleep at wow. 11 like it's not that's a like thing. a superpower i know it's it's not a great one <laughs> it's not as good as like flying or telepathy if it, that if, is if it was so funny but did you do psychedelics or anything no never did but i never like, did you know what's funny i like now i if I was if I wasn't sober, that would be the one thing I would be curious about because I like the idea of like mind expansion. I think, like I don't know, I feel like you probably get to go to a part of your brain and discover things that you reap the benefits from after, not just like alcohol where the you're drunk and then you have the repercussions and you know it's. The, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just now romanticizing this because I'm sober and it's never going to be an option for me. I, I think it's it's a good way to keep it. You know okay. What I yeah. mean? Like, well, I'm not going to. So. Well, I don't mean like you shouldn't do psychedelics. Yeah. I mean like you made it this far. Yeah. You are sober. Yeah. I really liked psychedelics. Yeah. And maybe one day, like I mean, there's a lot of conversations about psychedelics in sobriety. Like people talk about Bill Wilson taking a bunch of acid. I know. By the way, like. Bill Wilson and the LSD. I was shocked to learn this. I mean, he. I don't know the details, but I don't. I, I. So many people have sent me so much information, but I have a hard time like absorbing some information. Yeah. From what I understand, in the mid '60s, Bill Wilson and Timothy Leary, who was the big LSD guy, became very close, and Bill Wilson started tripping LSD. And supposedly, huh. I mean, the other weird thing about Bill Wilson that's not discussed very often is that when he got sober and had his white light experience, he was getting this belladonna treatment. And the belladonna treatment is psychedelics. Oh. So, so he had a white light moment on drugs. He had a white We've light. We've all had white light moments under the influence. He had a white light moment on the belladonna treatment and now all of us are abstinent in the wake of that experience. That is actually, that's the most upside down. I know. Inside out. It's a fascinating detail. Okay. So All let's right. hear about like, when did it get bad? Like what, what happened? I became a daily drinker when I went to Israel for the year after college, because I was, as you just described with your summer camp experience in a foreign place. How is Israel? People I didn't know. I loved Israel. I love Israel. Did you um, work on a kibbutz? No, I was in a I was in a seminary in Jerusalem. I really missed out. Oh yeah, you did. I really it's missed out. I don't know how I didn't wind up on some kibbutz really chopping did. down bananas and You'd be great. I know. You could I, do like I, a lumberjack Israeli lumberjack vibe. I see you with the flannel. I don't know how I missed that. I know. I think like- well, it's not too late. It's too late. Okay. It's well, over. All right. It's, I, I missed birthright. I missed the joy- well, you did miss of, birthright. Of, 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 you know- Have you been to Israel? Never been to Israel. Oh my God. Can we, can I take you? I, yes. Can we do Dopey from Israel? Dope. Well, only if you're willing, if you don't bring Ronit, we're willing to go, <laughs> we're willing to go I, further. You know, my, my mantra is I don't roll without Roro. Listen, I think it's a beautiful relationship- Ronit seems like a sparkling individual. She seems like a wonderful person, but she doesn't want you to talk about drugs on Dopey. And that's <laughs> that's a rough spot for me to be in as the person that makes the Dopey podcast. Fair, that's a fair assessment, right? Fair, fair. So, so let's get back. I mean, okay, last so. week, Fentanyl J was talking about how he would have to break down his crack with lemon juice before he injected the Coke into his neck. And Ronit... Is you know you understand yeah, you understand I, I my my, yes. my situation. We, we're we you know we we like to keep it we like to keep it diverse here. You know you don't love, need me to talk about I injecting crack into my neck because you had that last week. But so. let's just be clear: you never injected crack into your I neck. I never injected crack. So, I've never done crack. Never done heroin. 
Never done psychedelics. So, but you yeah. did. Now that I'm realizing it, as I listened to your Rivki interview, yeah. you were on anxiety medication. Oh yeah, Xanax. Well, yeah, I've taken Xanax like as prescribed, but I was on like I mean I'm still on a what's it called SSRI. Uh, yeah, SSRI. Yeah, inhibitors. so you don't like get a. But those buzz aren't benzodiazepines. No, 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 no. I never abused benzos. I'm sure if I was still using, I would be abusing them because that's just the nature of the game. But I... Um, that was never part of your story. It though. wasn't part of my story. I was never a pill popper. I, I, was having, I was suffering from really, really debilitating anxiety because I was an alcoholic. But my psychiatrist, who I was seeing at the time, would, kept telling me, you're not an alcoholic, Lizzie. You just have debilitating anxiety. And you have an eating disorder. And you have this. And you have that. And you need to go away. I don't. You, and you need uh, you need to go away to uh, in, inpatient for your anxiety. And I was like, no, I think I'm an alcoholic. Right. And I was like. She was like, well, then you need to go inpatient for your alcoholism. No, no, no. Like kept fighting me on it. And I was like, I think I'm going to check out like a 12-step recovery program. And and he was like, oh, um, yeah, I mean, you can check that out. But you're you, you need to deal with all these other issues. And it was pretty quickly into dealing with my addiction that I realized like that was really causing a lot of anxiety. Actually, Roni, Roni was part of this whole journey. She used to tell me all the time, she said, you think your drinking is making you less anxious. She said, I see you when you're drinking and you are the most anxious, way more anxious. And she Ro, used to Ro. tell me. Is it true? How bad was she? She was just a ball of anxiety. And how do you think the alcohol contributed to the anxiety? I think it heightened it from my perspective, but she didn't see it that way. This is what I want to know, Lizzie. Mm -hmm. What I want to know is when was it at its worst? And can you tell us some horrible drinking stories from the height of your partying career? Ronit, is that okay? That is okay. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the ones at the very end, you know, it's funny. I was really never much of a blackout drinker. Um, I would always like remember some things. Like I remember one time my senior year of high school, I went down to UT, University of Texas, to the winter formals, the fraternity formals. And I think they put something in the punch. I'd never felt like that. And I remember waking up in my best friend's dorm room, and I had, like, scrapes all over my legs and, like, mud all over my legs. And I was, like, still wearing my top. And I'm, like, how did – I had no idea how I had been, like, all battered up. And, like, I vaguely remembered, like, this guy trying to take me into this oh boy. room. But not like, it wasn't anything like that. I mean, I, I don't think anything like that happened. But, um, you know, it was really irresponsible. Like, really bad things could have happened to me. And, you know, I was, uh, God forbid if my, if my children ever end up in a situation like that. But, you know, I was really lucky. Like, there's nothing else I can say except for luck. Like, really bad things could have happened to me. Because I was out of my mind. And, you know, it's like one of those situations where you like you laugh about it the next morning because everyone else is out of their mind, too. And, you know, you're able to so easily justify all these insane things you did. But so I was never really much of a blackout drinker, minus like a few incidents like that where I, you know, came out rather unscathed, minus the bruises and scrapes and mud. But I um, at the end, once I got it in my mind that I thought I had a drinking problem, I wanted to stop. And so, of course, once you start wanting to stop and wanting to control it without any resources, you 
are totally out of control. When do you think you have the problem though? When does it, when does it occur to you? Like there were times throughout my drinking that, um, I knew it wasn't normal. You went to school in New York. I did. I went to NYU. Was it like crazy? Like you're this girl from Texas, you go to NYU and you also have become this ridiculous Instagram influencer person. Like, were you like, holy shit, it's so glamorous. I can do all these things. And like, well, when I'm sure I first, you were a big socialite I, back then. No, I, no. When I first got to NYU. I shouldn't assume anything. Uh, well, no, it's okay. No, when I first got to NYU, I was, I was very intimidated because I was from Fort Worth, Texas. Like, I mean, I've told this story. I, I worked at Banana Republic my senior year of high school. And so I arrived to NYU like wearing business casual clothing. And like right. everyone in Greenwich Village is like so cool. Like all my peers were like New York, LA kids. Like right. everyone just got it. And I felt like I, I wanted to get it, but I didn't get it yet. I was really, I was really intimidated. I actually remember having welcome week my freshman year. I um I got so drunk. And I think I smoked some pot and I like totally blacked out. And I remember like getting home in the middle of the night and I remember being in the shower and I was like talking to myself out loud like a lunatic. And I was like, Lizzie, you can be this person and you can go down this road or you can get your shit together. You don't want to be this girl. Like, you know, talking myself out of it. Yeah. And I, um, and I did, you know, like I got it together. Like I was able to not. It's interesting because I saw how like, how thin the ice was though for me. I find like, cause I talked to a ton of, I mean, I talked to a ton of alcoholics and addicts outside of dopey just cause I'm in, you know, in 12 step and, yeah. and, and I'm connected to a ton of sober people. But I find that when we as a kind of people or a group or whatever, mm-hmm. talk about those moments, it becomes this weird we moment in ourself. Mm-hmm. Like you're in the shower talking to yourself or like when I was using, I'd be like, what are we going to do now? Yeah. And I don't find that I do that now. Like yeah. it's not a we <laughs> moment when I talk about myself, <laughs> but somehow when I was using, it was, isn't that weird? It's like, there's two of me. There's this me. And then there's this. What other do you me. think that's about? I mean, for I, you and that, and when you reflect on that moment, I mean, I think that I recognized, I've always said that I have a dueling duality inside of me. Like there's the devil and there's the angel. And my dad would even say it to me. Like, I remember this one night I had forgotten my ID. I was in back home in Texas and I was going out with some friends and he had to bring me the ID to the bar. And he said, I looked at you when I handed it to you and I saw the devil's look in your eyes. And I know that I have that part of myself and they're constantly at war with each other, less so now. But that's what that's about. It's like, all right, which one are we gonna which one are we gonna give into? The good one or the bad one? Right. And then so what does New York do to you from being like whatever, early twenties, teens yeah. to like sobriety? I mean, I bet you it was like a tumultuous run considering you got sober. Yeah, no, it definitely was. I mean, I'm an extreme person like most addicts and alcoholics I know. Like I'm all in whatever I'm doing. I think Part of the problem for me is I happen to be like a very high functioning. I'm a I'm an overachiever. I come from a very long line of overachievers, and so I perfectionist. Perfectionist, type. yes. So you know, if if the second anything was going to get in the way of me making straight A's, I was um, you alter it. Yeah, exactly. But it never did, right. you know. And that actually is a curse because being high functioning c- can kill you. 100%. You know because. 
you're you're hiding it from the world, except for the people closest to you, like Ronit. You know? <laughs> Most people around me would have had no idea that I was really struggling. So like, you know, I I partied a ton. I I figured out how to be a part of this crowd that I wanted to navigate. You know, it was pretty easy for me to figure out how to fit in. And part of that meant that I, I didn't really know who I was um, at my core. And so you're just kind of like... One of the sheep kind of thing, or one just one of the crowd. Yeah. One, one of New York City. Yeah. You know? and, and, and with... And you were a were you a nightlife person? Oh God, yes, yeah. Like the club scene was everything when I was in college. So, Where would you go? I mean, wherever was the cool spot. I think like what Pink Elephant on Wednesdays and Marquee on Tuesdays, and there was that club that Justin Timberlake swayed. I think it was called. I mean, I went to all of them. And you, you know, I went before I had a fake ID. My mom actually, sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, my mom actually got me my fake ID. I told my, I don't know how I convinced her, but I told her I was going to NYU and everyone had fake IDs and I needed one. And so she gave me money and I went with my friend Karthik. What <laughs> kind of a name is that? He's Indian. Okay. And we left, we did, we left school early and we went to Dallas to this, um, to this passport place on Jupiter street and we got fake IDs and, um, and it worked. <clears throat> I had my fake ID until I turned 21. Um, and it was a good one. I don't know if it was a good one, good but it was pass, good enough for my ability to flirt with whoever was looking at it was pretty good. It worked. It was, yeah, it was, it was working. So yeah, it's funny because I remember I gave my roommate who was not good at flirting uh, my fake ID and it got taken after I was done, after I was already 21 and it got taken away. I'm like, you just don't know how to flirt. She didn't have it. She, she didn't, didn't have, it, have down. it. She didn't have it. Well, yeah. not everybody can have it. So like. It's a long way between yeah. college and, and sobriety and sobriety. Yeah. And yeah. one of the the pluses of being an influencer, being a nightlife person, and being social in New York City is that alcohol is part of the picture. Yeah. Were you somebody that could like you were just saying that your husband, Dr. Ira, yeah, great Jewish name, yeah. probably knew that you had issues. Yeah. When you're out drinking, nobody else knows. Yeah. I mean, in New York City, it, it would take a lot for somebody to think you have a problem because right. it's just not. I was a low functioning drug addict. It was bad. I, I didn't go out. You I didn't. stayed home. But I also didn't drink. Yeah. I just shot heroin. Like I, I didn't belong anywhere. It was amazing that I lived. That's a very lonely existence. Um, it Isolated. Could, it was. Uh, it could be. So, yeah. So <laughs> when I mean, like you had been married, you had had children like yeah. by the time you're like. I need to get out of this. Yeah, I what had, are consequences before the well, bad so, consequences? I, no, so like I had had moments where I knew I wasn't, my life was unmanageable. Like I, I knew I would like get going and couldn't stop. And I didn't like that. Like I remember waking up one morning and I had been with a friend like on my couch, just like hanging out. And my kids are like asleep in the next room. My husband's asleep in the next room. And I woke up and I had ordered takeout and like I didn't even eat it. And I remember just like seeing the food there and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what's wrong with me? Like I've got, I've lost like, and I'm like, this isn't cute anymore. Like this is not, I mean, it's not a huge consequence, but I just remember like Ira always being like disappointed. And my husband, I should just say, is like a total square. I love him. Thank God. He's my stability. He's my rock. And he's put up with a lot. And so, you know, he couldn't understand why I was doing this to myself. But for me, it was like, I was alone all the time. And it's not the loneliness or 
Ira working or Ira being in residency or med school or whatever that, you know, made me an alcoholic. It was, you know, that's how I coped because I am an alcoholic, but you know, he couldn't get it. He, and he would always be upset with me. He'd be like, just get it together. And so for me, like Ira's disappointment as like non-addict as this sounds was a big consequence for me because I, I hated when he was mad at me. Like it really destroyed me. I'm such a people pleaser. I I can't handle if you want to be whatever they want you to be. Yeah. And then, you know, I was very lucky that I never had any major consequences. The the real like aha moment for me was, you know, I had I had actually like flirted with the idea of going into recovery. I think in 2017, 2018, there was only one person I knew in recovery. And so I called her after that night on the couch where I woke up with the food still there. And um, I don't understand the food still there story. Well, I just didn't had you eat it. Forgotten that you ordered it. Or I don't. You ordered I it, was but you not were so drunk. You were like, I had no idea what was going on. I guess like I it, thought it would be a good idea to eat something to soak up all the booze, but I. And in the morning, you were just up, and there was food. And, and there was food there, and I'm like, she. I was like, I don't remember anything. Why? I, apparently, I ordered food, but didn't eat it. Like just this. But also, as a pseudo perfectionist with children, yeah, with this very, I'm like, how irresponsible. But with this very like accomplished husband and with this very accomplished life, things like that are unacceptable to you. That was a huge deal to me. Right. Like I've heard stories of people that are like, I left my part. Like I would put notes on the door. Don't leave, you know, because they would be scared they would leave their apartment or whatever. I never had that. But like in my world, this was extremely unmanageable and out of control. Like the fact that I would not remember what happened when my children are sleeping in the next room was like insane. Like, that is just not who I am. That's not how I was raised. That's not what I'm comfortable with. And I think that's, like, the most important thing in general. Like, just because, you know, Fentanyl J shot crack in his neck or or I shot heroin or whatever, consequences are consequences. And everybody has a different bottom. And everybody has a different interpretation of what isn't okay. Yeah. And, like, there's nothing wrong with that being your bottom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and... So my real, like, for, for me, the most humiliating experience was at the, towards the end, I was, I was really bottoming out when the, the last conflict in Gaza was going on in May 2021, because I am a Jewish activist, i constantly defending Israel online, and I was getting, like, death threats every day, pummeled, like, destroyed. Like, everyone in the media, on social media that was posting about this conflict was posting against Israel. Like, mainstream press, celebrities, like, and I was feeling so hopeless and, like, felt like this was my responsibility and, like, so righteous about it, you know? It was making me nuts. And, like, Ira and I, Ira's also- powerlessness, right? Total powerlessness. And Ira is also very passionate. And, like, whenever I, he's, like, my barometer. When I see him drinking, I'm like, oh, this is a stressful time, right? you know, because I can't trust my own. Totally. You know, that's how I can tell when it's actually like a, a stressful moment. Like when people drink around the holidays when they're around their family, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes so it sense. must be stressful. Yeah. So, yeah, so we were like feeding off each other with how like upset we were and how stressful this was. And uh, I was uh, I was drinking very heavily and I was doing a live with the Israeli consulate of New York. And there were like thousands of people watching this Instagram live. And I was so drunk yeah. that I took some Adderall and I don't have an Adderall prescription. And I- Hold on, was, Ronin, is this okay? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. And I- Where did you get the Adderall? You know, I had sources. Okay. So you get what you need. Listen, who are you talking to? I'm with yeah, you. Yeah. I got it from a friend actually who I won't name. 
and Leah well, McSweeney probably. <laughs> no, she was in New York. I was in Dallas at okay. the time. Um, yeah, so I got the Adderall, and the Adderall really was what screwed me at the end of my drinking because it made me always think I was sober and could drink more. And um, how did you like it? Because um, I di- I actually hated it. Okay, but and it made me mean. And it murdered my personality. Right. But I couldn't sustain the amount I wanted to drink without it. So I needed it. You know? Okay. I get that. And then the, and the drinking, which would normally make you blotto, just softens the Adderall. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. Like I get so irritable, that feeling. I never like, man, I want Adderall now. I never took it. Yeah. I was not an up person, but there's so many things I want to be doing. And people are like, you should take Adderall. And I'm like, no, if don't. I took Adderall, I'd be like the leader of the free world in my mind. Like yeah, this don't, fantasy. Don't do it. It's the devil. Okay. So you let's get back to the story. Yeah. So you, you took Adderall and you drank a ton and you do a fucking Instagram live. Yeah. And I know. So I said to Ira, I was like, I can't, I, I, I'm so, you know, it was of course not the booze. I'm very stressed out about this war in Gaza and I need you. I can't do this by myself. I'm so scared. I don't know what he's going to ask me. This is like a very official interview. I need you with me. And so like he sits next to me. I think I like do okay with him. We end the live and he looks at me and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like That's what he said. Yes. Your husband. Yes. He's like, did you like. Was Ronnie there or no? No. Okay. He was like, like why? He's like, you can't like form sentences, like whatever. And people were commenting about it. They were like why does she keep jawing like with her mouth? Like I had really bad dry mouth and I kept like moving my jaw. Right, right, and sure. I thought I was fooling everyone. Right. Anyway. Did anyone write she's on speed? Yes. People were like having talks she's about on meth, this. Blah, blah, they blah. thought I yeah. was like on Coke. Right. I don't know. And right. I wasn't, but I mean, I guess it's kind of the it's same a, it's mechanism. Very, it's very similar. Yeah. Anyway, I was mortified, mortified because like all I had ever wanted in life was to be purposeful and to, um, be a light for the Jewish people. And like, here was my addiction, like getting in the way of that. And I'm like, I thought that my addiction was maybe helping me to cope with all these things and helping me to be this light. And I'm like, no, it's actually destroying me. And it was like, that was a white light moment for me. Like, oh my God, if I keep going this way, I'm going to destroy my my dream and what I believe is my purpose as a career. And so I didn't want that. And I, I deleted the live. I was up for like, I think a week. And I'm like, I got to take this down. I don't think that the Israeli consulate knew though. Maybe he did. Maybe he just thinks I'm weird. Um, he didn't know that you were on Adderall and drunk. You mean? No. He knows now. You know the Israeli consulate is big, in, big into dope. Asaf, I'm very sorry. And so, yeah, so that, I didn't like that. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want that. And I, um, but I still like, I really struggled to surrender as we all do. So, you had consequences. I, I, yeah. And like my kids were seeing me. I mean, that was, that was a huge thing for me. Like I didn't want my children and my husband really didn't want our children growing up around that, like not knowing what their mom was going to. And he's a know, normal person, your husband. He's so normal. Yeah. He can drink a little bit. He doesn't drink total a lot. Total normie. We'll right. drink once a week, leave half a glass. I don't understand it. Very confused by it. But yeah, he, you know, he didn't like cleaning up the mess and, and I didn't like it either. I, I felt, I knew I couldn't control it. And, and you don't want to be that wife and you don't want to be that mother and you don't want to be that person. And I am not the type that is blaming everyone else around me. I don't deflect like that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. I need to kill myself. Right. Yeah. And like at the end, I was definitely thinking about that. So that moment Like they would be better off without me. Right. And you, and you start, and that's like, you know. 
classic alcoholic yeah. thinking. Yeah, so the y- piece of shit at the center of the universe. It's the best. It is the best yeah. uh, term. What's the, it's the the uh, egomaniac with the inferiority mm-hmm. complex, but the piece of shit at the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Where did you hear that at a meeting? Uh, yeah, I've heard it a bunch. Yeah, in recovery. That was something that Chris <clears throat> used. To, the first time I heard it was when Chris said it. Oh, interesting. And then whenever I shared it at a meeting, I got lots of laughs. So I felt like people hadn't heard it. So much. maybe it's a Chris thing, and I just didn't know that. I don't think so. Props to Chris. No, I don't think. Yeah, loving. Yes, it will we give props Chris. to Chris, but I don't think he invented it. I think he would love to hear that people thought he did. So for you all have, I know, he did. You have this fucking horrible experience. How soon after are you like, I need to fucking clean this thing up? I mean, I was, I, re- I, I really fought it for maybe two, three months. I was buying books about not drinking. Did you buy like Annie Grace's book? Like which books were you buying? God, I don't even remember. Ronit would remember. What did I buy? I, I had one. I don't know. Like Ronit, the- what did she buy? <laughs> I don't remember. You're fucking Ronit. I know. I know. Yeah. I was like, all right, let me just read this book and then I'll, you know, then I'll be good. Um, it but you drank through it. Oh, yeah. And oh, how much yeah. Adderall was on the table at that point? Or were you like after that experience where you're like, I shouldn't take this? No, or- no. For sure I had no control over that either. Because once I had a drink, if I had too many drinks and I needed a function, like it wasn't a huge part of my story. Like I want to be clear about that. But it's but a big part of the ending. It was a big part of the ending because I was so out of control that like I thought that that would help me get the control. Let's just add one more substance and then maybe I'll be able to control it. And it's the substance that's supposed to make us smarter and more yeah. capable and more attentive and like more yeah. able to focus. Yeah. So, um, it what sounds like the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. So I made my way. I had tried to stop. It wasn't working. I told, Oh, I, I started taking antabuse. Wow. Um, when did, did you tell your doctor? No, my doctor told me that that would be a good idea. That I was like, work. you're not an alcoholic. Just take this drug. And anyway, I actually had a very bad reaction to antabuse, not from mixing it with alcohol, but like I, um, I was going to say, yeah, most alcoholics do when they drink. Exactly. But what happened? Easy joke. Sorry. Um, no, I, um, I like I was retained, like I gained weight from it. I don't, I didn't know. I don't know if that's like a common side effect or maybe I just get, I don't know, but I was freaked cause I'm a, I remember like telling my psychiatrist that I had gained six pounds since I started taking it and that I was going to kill myself. Right. This is like where my head was. Like, this is ridiculous. Like now I think about this and I can't believe this is like, you know, less than two years ago, like this person who like couldn't like, that's insane thinking. But you wanted everything to be exactly the way you wanted it to be. Yeah. And so it wasn't. Yeah, I think I also was I was I was blaming the antabuse because I didn't like the feeling of not being drunk. Like I felt crazy. I was like, I'm losing it. It took away what you wanted. Yeah. I, I was just losing my my mind. And I did not feel any serenity whatsoever because just taking away the pacifier is not No. It's the worst. It's yeah. bad. I so I stopped taking the antabuse and then a couple weeks later I went to this event. I, I still told my husband that I wasn't drinking. And I went to this event and I wasn't going to drink. And then, of course, I ended up drinking and he picked me up. We had to go somewhere after. And he was like, you're drunk. And I was like, yeah, I am. I, like, I couldn't deny it. And then I, Ronit's smiling because she remembers this night. <clears throat> How drunk was she, Ronit? Very drunk. <laughs> what does she do when she's really drunk? She was very drunk, but she was still with it. 
Um, I remember she pulled me into the bathroom, but I'll let her get to there. Yeah, so I walked in. We were staying at a friend's house because we were in between houses. And I pulled her into the bathroom. I guess I told her that I was very drunk. Were you drink. demanding Adderall from Ronit's special stash? I don't know. Was I? No. No, no she was not. No. No, I, I was embarrassed because we were in this woman's house and her son had just gotten in town. And I was like, I'm going to go down and say hi. And Ronit was like, no, Lizzie's going to bed. Like, Trying to protect you as always. She was babysitting our kids. And so she was there when I got home. And I don't re- really remember. I, I think I kept saying Ira hates me. He's so mad at me. He's gonna he's gonna leave me. Right. You know, I'm you I'm a horrible it. person. Like the self loathing spiral. And then I think my kids heard and they were freaking out. Right. They were like, Does, why is daddy mad at mommy? And it's and, aggravating that feeling inside of you and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So I, I woke up the next morning and I was like, All right, okay. I'm I need to like deal with this. And so I, I called my therapist and I said, I think I'm gonna check out a meeting. And I I did, and I, I cried the entire time. Um, Where'd you go? I was in Dallas, so. You went, went to a meeting in Dallas? I went to a meeting in Dallas, yeah. And um, yeah. How I are just, Dallas meetings? This was a women's meeting, which was actually really, really nice for me, for my entree. Why do you think you were crying? Were you like, I can't believe I'm here? Or were you like, I'm yes, hearing my shame, story? guilt. Okay. No, I can't believe I'm here. Right. I don't want this. I don't want to be this. Right. I don't want to give up my best friend alcohol i don't want my this. tool yeah yeah like i can't believe that like i've hit this point that this is it like i i was embarrassed i you're showing up i to also some meeting with all didn't women. have hope that it would work i'm like what if this doesn't work did you identify or were you like i'm not like any of the people oh here? no i i knew i okay. knew i belonged okay. I, I was there was no question in my mind i really wanted to be able to drink like a normal person but i pretty much knew and the a woman I met there said to me, Lizzie, people who aren't alcoholics don't come to recovery meetings. Right. So, you know, you, you probably should think about that. You're, you know, if you think you have a problem, you probably do. That's I'm always like, a great Damn quote. It. That's a great quote. Always. Yeah. So I, yeah, but it still, it wasn't like an overnight thing for me. And like I wavered, um, I fought it like a little bit longer. And then the last was like, uh, my last blackout started on a Shabbat morning in the synagogue. I remember I was telling Ronit this the other day. I remember I was pushing the baby to, to the synagogue in the stroller. Um, my Ira and my girls are already there. And I was like, I know when I get to the synagogue, I'm going to find alcohol and I'm going to drink it. Cause like, I, I don't know. I just, like, that's had, what you wanted to do. Yeah. And I knew that Ira was going to be, I was always like responsible. Like I would never like get, you know, there's always a yet, but I would never get drunk if I knew I was going to be alone with my kids. Or, like I never drank and drove, but I probably would have if I had kept going. And I probably, you know, I probably would have done all the things, the yet. broken all the rules that I had for myself. But um, I knew Ira was going to be around. We were having people over for lunch. I knew there was going to be a bunch of adults around. And I just figured I'd just get, have like a couple drinks. It would be kind of like my, I, I kept having, wanting to have my last hurrah over and over and over again. Yeah. And um, Ira... He didn't really know. I mean, he was so distracted by the chaos that was going on that day until it was too late. And I think somebody had brought a bottle of scotch over. Yeah, so I started drinking in the synagogue, and I think somebody what were you drink? What did you find in the synagogue? Scotch. I think I was drinking whiskey. Where do they keep scotch in the synagogue? <clears throat> oh, if you go to an Orthodox synagogue, there's always a bottle of scotch. Okay. Oh, yeah. The more religious you are, the more you drink. Okay. For sure. 
Yeah, and it's a big problem that nobody really talks about. I don't know anything about it. Because a lot of Jews will say, oh, Jewish people aren't alcoholics. That's like what wasps are, but that's not true. There, There's a lot of alcohol abuse in Judaism. Untreated in alcoholics. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure there's a bunch of treated alcoholics Yeah, for sure. Well. I just didn't know them, but yes. And so, yeah, it was very easy. Why do you think, before we get to the yeah. solution and, and like what happened when you went home, why do you think in orthodoxy there is a lot of alcoholism and why are they not talking about it well anything stigmatized is a no-no like right. you won't be able to find a shidduch you know how are you gonna find a husband if we know that your brother was a was right. a drunk or a heroin right. you know that's the I whole love that. it's, it's really all about the image thank you it's all about the image could you, know? you do a new york jew woman before you were a new york jewish woman i don't know I'm pretty good at impressions. Yeah, that was very good. I don't know if I could do it though. I don't know. No, I need to hear it. Was that was that archetype in your blood in Texas, or did it not exist? Because that's what I was raised by. Oh, Jewish Bubby? No, yeah. that wasn't in my blood in Texas. My my grandma is a from Jew from Montgomery, Alabama. And so she spoke Yiddish with a very thick Southern amazing, accent. Amazing, amazing. So what does my, that sound like? Oh, vice mayor, honey. <laughs> wow. She'd, she'd always say, um, what would she say? Um, now that I'm like trying to yeah, think it's about on the it. Spot. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. She's Michigan. Oh, that Michigan. Like that's how she's so talk. funny. Yeah. Not like a, not like the, the Brooklyn Joe. Yeah. Okay. So you're fucking, you find the bottle of scotch at the synagogue. Ira's distracted. You're drinking and you go home. Yeah. And then there's uh, so we were having company. There was a bottle. Somebody had brought over easily found my way to, I was so good at, drinking and not how did you hide it at home like what would you do what were some mechanisms you you used well making sure i got rid of the bottles before i opened the new bottles was key so that you know there you was no apple evidence juice on the bottles. table and be like that's exactly. just juice it's just juice honey opening the bottle and pouring it when ira was in the shower which he caught on to how did he catch on to it would he just run the shower and then surprise <laughs> you i guess yeah no 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 he would have the shower on, but he wouldn't be in it yet. Because he knew he could, he had this moment to see what you're up to. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if he was actually trying to be suspicious of me and catch me. What else? Um, going to have a drink before I came home to have my drink. Um, the pre-drink drink. The pre-drink drink, yeah. Gum, you know, Breath washing mints. out my yes, mouth. Yes, 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 yes. Um, which, you know, generally worked. I have to say, I was pretty good. I'm sure. I'm pretty good at getting. What were you mostly it. drinking? I mean, I love wine. I still like miss the taste of wine. I love like the civilized nature of having a glass very of wine. adult right. glass of wine, very right. sophisticated, elegant. Totally. But I was an equal opportunity alcoholic. There was nothing that I wasn't willing to drink. Right. Like even though I was like super calorie conscious, like in this time period, because I was so obsessive compulsive, which I've totally, thank God, in sobriety chilled out with, which is so crazy. How they go, like I never knew that those two things would come from the same part of the brain. But I was so obsessive about my calorie counting. But if like the only thing available was like a sugary margarita, I would have it. Right. I would, of course, rather have booze than no booze. So, so know. what happened that night? Oh, so it was a daytime. Okay. What happened the day? I, I don't really remember the details, but I, I guess I like, it was summertime. It was July 31st, 2021. And um, we had kids over. Everyone was swimming. Apparently, I changed bathing suits multiple times because I guess. Where's the pool? In my house. Where was the house? Oh, in Texas? Yes. Okay. I guess I decided. So the kids were jumping rope and I decided I was going to show them how to jump rope, but I was wearing a bikini 
And so I gave them all a show. Wow. Now they're all in therapy. Yes. Um, so, and then happened. were adults I there? Did they notice? Did they freak yes. out? Um, no. I mean, yeah, it was, thank God it was close friends. Right. And they knew I was already, str- I was open with my very close circle about what I was going through. Had you been to meetings already? Yes. Okay. And I told two of my best friends, which I didn't remember this until the next day. And they told me that I'm going and I'm trying and it's not working and I'm drunk right now. And my friend said to me, oh, sorry, it's emotional. She said, she said, crying you, on dopey's totally, uh, <laughs> totally encouraged. She said, if you want to grow your hair out, you don't wake up the next day with long hair. Like it's a process. And she had no, like, she is so not an alcoholic. And the fact that, and it was like such a perfect thing to hear. Yeah. I mean, it was such a gentle thing to hear, which is what I needed. I was so fragile. And Ira was so done being gentle with me. He didn't know what to do. It was, I mean, I can only imagine what it was like living with me. So, you know, I needed that. And and that helped. I was like, okay, it's okay. Like, and I was so used to being perfect at everything I did. So to not be perfect at getting sober was really hard for me. Like, But it's almost better that it wasn't easy. Yeah. You know, if you had just been like, I'm not drinking, I'm doing the steps, this is going to work. And it did. I think that we're more prone to fucking it up later. It's like you fucked it up in the beginning, so you know what it is to fuck it up. Yeah. So anyway, I, yeah. So I, it's true. Yeah. I don't want, I know I don't want to ever feel that way again. The, the feeling of like between going into the, a recovery room and then actually starting to be sober is a, like you want that time to, period to be as short as possible. Well, it's rough to to go back. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, and I, so many of our audience relapses and, and, and I've relapsed so many times and I couldn't get time. You know what I mean? I never, I couldn't get time for so long. So if you're relapsing and you come back, there's no shame in it and you should feel amazing that you live to fight another day. Yes. Oh my God. But it's, it's so fucking hard to, I mean, there's no shame from where a sober person is standing because we know what it is. We're proud. But but when you you come back, you can feel shame. Yeah. Right. When you walk into a meeting after you drank, you're like, fuck, I'm a loser. I fucked this up. I can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, anyway, so I woke up the next morning, I guess I had gone to bed. I woke up and checked my phone and Ira had responded to some text messages. I think he had gone through my phone. He like, he, he never did that, but I think he was like at a point now where he was going through my phone and, you know, he wanted to help, but he didn't know how. And so I would have been in your phone. Yeah. So he, um, he was, I saw I had texted, I didn't remember this, but I had texted the one person I knew in recovery here in New York and she had responded to me. And then Ira had responded back to her. This is Ira. Lizzie's asleep. It was 8 30 PM. Lizzie's asleep. I wake up the next day at 7 a.m. Ira's like cleaning the whole house. The girls had had a sleepover. I didn't know what had happened. I looked at him. I said, I want to go to a meeting. He said, no, you don't get to do that right now. I have been dealing with stuff for the you know past day, and I'm going to work out. And when I get back, we're going to talk. And I'm like, you know, I knew. Like, And he came back, and he was so mad, you know. What did he say? He said, I don't want to do this anymore, and I don't want my kids growing up in a house like this and I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I'm tired of it and I don't want to clean up the mess anymore. And I believed him. He is a saint and he never 
wanted to broach the subject with me, even when he was worried about me over the years, because there were a lot of moments over the years where he knew it was a, you know, problem for me, but he didn't want to fight. And so he just, it was like part denial, part not wanting to have conflict. Do you think also because you were trying to get well, that the mess was more acute. Oh my God. Yes. It was like zero to a thousand. It wasn't like when you're managing it. No, it was a like, yes. And also you, the fact that you had a problem was out in the open. The fact that Ira's wife, Ira's perfect wife is in 12 step. Yeah. And then he's like, and then you're fucked up and your top comes off jumping rope and you're fucking drunk and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I can't, this is too much now. And he, yeah. I mean, do you think it's once you admit that there's a problem He's like, now I'm seeing this problem. Do you think that changed it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think he also thought, like, why can't she just drink like a normal person? Like, he, I remember him saying to me, like, I don't want to be married to someone sober. Like, just get it together. Like, That's rough. Right? Have a glass of wine. Like, and my wife wishes have I, could, the night I, could, be, I could be normal. Yeah. Now he's like, please do not ever drink again. Like, he gets it and he's so happy I'm sober. Like, he's so happy. I'm sure. But um, I think the idea of it didn't seem that appealing, you know? Um, I think he also thought that I'd be less of a liability and turns out I'm worse now. What do you mean? Well, because I think when I was drinking, I would filter myself more because I didn't want people to know I was drunk. You had secrets. And now I'm just all out there, so. Well, I'm sure he appreciates that. So after, after he sits you down... Like what changes in yourself? I said, I want, he said, I don't want you going to these meetings. I saw you were texting this guy. I don't remember his name, Richard and something. And he told you God loves you. And that's weird. And he's like, he's like, who are these people? It's obviously not working. I don't want you. Right. He's like, I don't want people seeing you there. And it's funny to think about now. Cause I'm like, you weren't embarrassed that I was like jump roping drunk, but you're embarrassed that I'm like, well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's a really interesting duality because it's like it's more acceptable to be a normal person who gets wasted than a weirdo who goes to 12 steps. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like so many people. There's like shame around getting help. Well, there's a shame about spirituality in terms of sobriety. There's a shame about God. There, like all of a sudden it's not Jewish God if God helps you get yeah. sober. It's it's Jesus Christ somehow. You know well, what I and mean? The, yeah, and that was, that was a thing for me. There was a lot of Jesus in my early recovery. Um, not my Jesus. No, I understand. (laughs) Just hearing it. And, um, so having to understand that, like it was, you know, I, I should take what worked for me and leave the rest. And, you know, it's hard to do when you're like, who the hell am I? And what is this? And, you know, you have no idea what's going on when you're first putting down. Well, and it's also like, I mean, I heard that in the beginning and I didn't take enough. I left more than I took. Mm. You know, and what I heard this time around, and I've said this recently, I think, on the show, which was, number one, it's not a hotel. You don't need to check in, which yeah. I love that expression. And number two is you don't take what you leave and need the rest or take what you need and leave the rest because it's not a cafeteria. Mm-hmm. You have to do all of it, mm-hmm. you know, to do it effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, and I also remember in the beginning, like when I heard the Lord's Prayer, somehow I felt personally offended. Yeah, I, but do, I, I do too. But I, I don't know I why. Still, I, I still why? struggle with what, it. Because the word heaven, what's the word no, in there? No, because it's from like the, it's just. It's from a, the New Testament. Yeah, it's so that's that. For me, it's. It's hard. I still can't. Why though? I mean, I couldn't for a long time and now I do. I have, 
PTSD from growing up as a Jew in Fort Worth, Texas in the Bible Belt and being told that I was going to hell if I didn't accept Jesus. How many Jews were there? There were two, me and one other in my class. So it was rough. And then you went to the Jewish center of the universe. Yeah, which, you know, it was such a weird... I never took my Jew- Jewish identity for granted growing up in Fort Worth. I was always very proud to be Jewish, like thought I was, it was special. It was something I had to work to hang on to. I was a representative of my people. Right. And then I come to this place where like everyone's Jewish and people are kind of like ashamed of their Judaism. Right, like, right. They don't want to lead with it. They're like, eh, like, yeah, my, my mom's mom was Jewish, but I'm not, you know, like that. Where, where, here? No, no, I'm kidding. No, That's right, like... Right. No, no, I get it. I get it. It's, it's like, like, actually, if your mom's mom was Jewish, you're Jewish. What what I want to know is how are you doing now? And like, how soon after all that shit did you... I mean, obviously, you have a program. Obviously, you go to meetings. Yeah. Like, did you dive in? How did you explain to Ira that you could? So that same day, I was like, I don't... I said to him, he said, I don't want you doing this, um, going to these meetings. And I said, uh, okay. I understand why you feel that way, but I have no other option right now. I don't know of another way to do this. Did you want another one? Like, were you like resistant to it? I was so desperate that I, I just didn't care. I was like, if this doesn't work, I'm probably going to die because I didn't, I knew there wasn't another way out for me. I was calling around trying to get like an, an inpatient and there were no beds and I really didn't want to leave my family. I really wanted to to be able to figure it out. Yeah. If I could. And I'm like, then what is he, he's already embarrassed. What is he going to tell people that his wife has gone for right, like three right, weeks or whatever? Right. How long? On yeah. a spiritual retreat. Yeah, exactly. Like nobody's going to believe that. She but, went to find Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine? That would actually probably be more embarrassing. That would be the greatest. Anyway. So, yeah. so you, you, cause I mean, I had the same thing. I didn't want to do 12 step. I just was desperate. I was so desperate. And I found in, you know, I found this, I had this weird sponsor like who was like, I want to, he's like, do you want to do the steps? And I was like, I want to do the steps. He's like, I can get you through all 12 steps in a year. I was like, let's do it. And I didn't like the sponsor oh. and he wound up relapsing. And I was like, this is oh, God no. doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yeah. And then there was an old Jewish man at the meeting oh, and God. he became my sponsor and I had higher power issues. And he was like, you have a gift of desperation though. Yeah. And that was the God for me at first. I, yep. So Gift when, of desperation. when did you settle into program stuff? So I made Ira come with me to this woman's house that day. He really didn't want to. I was like, please just come and meet this woman who I just met, who told me that I wouldn't be here if I wasn't an alcoholic. Right. Okay? Well, he knew you were an alcoholic though, didn't he? I, I think he... Yeah. He didn't understand what it was to yes, be an alcoholic. Yes, exactly. He was like, and he was like, I'm so embarrassed that my wife is an alcoholic. This is horrible. I'm so ashamed. I don't want my kids to know. I don't want the world to know, you know, like that, understandably. Sure. Um, Especially, you know, conservative Jewish. Yeah, this is. Orthodox Jewish. Yeah, this is. And this is a huge problem in our community. Shame. Shame. And like, that's why so many people are not getting the help they need because people are saying, oh, I know that problem's out there, but it's not in our community. Right. But it is. Those people. Those people that have that problem that we've just heard about. So, yeah. So. You know, I get it, and I have no blame for him at all for do you think, thinking that. Do you think it's kind of like one thing I've always struggled with around Judaism in general mm-hmm. was the idea that there are chosen people and then there are people that <laughs> aren't chosen? And do you yeah. think the same thing kind of applies with something like that? We're meant to be perfect. We're meant to be this. And if you're not this, then you're that. Well, I think that 
it's multi-layered. I think that we have a lot of generational trauma that we haven't dealt with, a lot of neuroses that we haven't dealt with. And so part of that means that we don't ever want to be vulnerable. We don't ever want to show weakness. And so when something's bad, we bury it, we cover it so up, no we move on it. with our life. So it's not even yeah, happening. We don't talk about it. That's right. it. Yeah. Right. And then I also think that there is this image of perfection that we want to uphold because God forbid somebody you know, see something bad about us. Because how can we bad. be chosen if we're capable of doing something wrong? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I believe that cho- the word chosen for me means that we chose. Like we chose to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's my, per- that's my interpretation. How long interpretation. have you had that interpretation? I mean... Because it's often discussed. I mean, it's often... My father always would say one of the number one reasons for anti-Semitism is because Jews say they're chosen. Yeah, so I've never thought of myself as superior or better. And I think that that's a huge misconception about the Jewish people is that we think we're better. Most Jews I know are, I mean, not most Jews I know, but a lot of Jews out there are self-hating Jews and they're embarrassed about their Jewish identity. And that's not the, they don't want you to know that they're Jewish. And most of the mainstream ones out there, like people always say, oh, Jews control Hollywood. Well, most of the Jews in Hollywood are not like proud Jews. Certainly. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is not going to be Jewy, the podcast yeah. on Jew, Jewish Zionist and yeah. other stuff like that. I want to know like, how does, but I'm very interested in it. Yeah. Like I don't talk about it enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in how Ira overcame his shame. So, okay. So I made him come with me to this woman's house and he was like so mean to her. And he was like, I don't want anyone to know that like my wife is an alcoholic. He's classic, classic thing, right? Classic Al-Anon kind of thing. Uh, This is horrible. And like, you know, I don't want my wife. He, yeah, he's like, I don't want my wife being seen. And like, Lizzie's a public person and like people are going to talk about it. And, And she was so patient with him. And she said, you know, I, I believe that you're going to be proud of your wife nice. one day. And I believe that she said, my children are proud of me. My husband's proud of me. And then when he, we were walking out, she pulled me aside and she said, that man is scared out right. of his mind. Right. She said he is terrified. Right. And was she, she a professional in any kind of way or she was no, just a hardcore 12 step? Hardcore. Devoted her life to it. And she said, she gave me a book and she wrote in it. She said, the elevator can stop here or it can keep going down. And I really wish for you that this is where the stop is. And I pray that your children have a sober mom. She was not sugarcoating it. And it was what I needed to hear. It was very direct. And so after that day, uh, I went the next day back to a meeting and I did. And Ira was just like, whatever. He was like. Yeah. I mean, I think I I didn't, I don't really think I even involved him in my, I was like, I'm going to do, this is, I'm doing this thing. This is my thing. But yeah, I remember um, that same woman who he was so mean to like came by like three or four days later and she brought she brought me some black and white cookies nice. that were kosher. She said, these are kosher, sweetie. And Ira was there. It was, a, it was on Chavez. And, um, That's so sweet. And he, when she left, he started, he's going to kill me. He started crying. He was like, I was so mean to her and she just wanted to help you and she wants nothing from you. He couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that this woman wanted nothing from me except well, to help me. She she wanted to help you. Yeah. And 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 she wanted to be able to be of service for you. And, yeah. and that was of service for herself too. It's an amazing thing. And Ira softened when he saw results and he saw love. And it was pretty quick for me. Like I surrendered. And like that was really it that day at her house and I surrendered and I was very and I mean I was committed. Like 
Did you get a sponsor a right away? Do the steps. Yeah, I did. I did change sponsors pretty early on. No, I changed sponsors a bunch um, of times. But as I get, I always get reminded: this is a room full of alcoholics. <laughs> well, the great, the greatest thing I heard was uh, meetings have two things: coffee and sick people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't have coffee. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's like it, yeah. it's 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 not a hotbed of mental health, and we're all fucking crazy alcoholics and mm-hmm. drug addicts. And on our best days, we're awesome, and on our worst days, we're not. Mm-hmm. So what, how did you get drafted into the Real Housewives of New York? Um, this had been following me for a while, actually. Like I had been tapped for it um, twice when I was living in New York. And they were just like adding to the cast potentially. And then they didn't end up changing the cast. They didn't add or take away. And then so it was like sort of in my like realm of thinking. But I was cast for Real Housewives of Dallas. And then it got canceled for season six. that It was a totally random coincidental thing. The casting director reached out to me. I'm like, did you know I like had been interviewed for this in New York? Whatever. Went through that. And then like that was July when it got, or no, September when it got canceled. And then in like April, the casting director for Housewives of New York reached out. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, enough guys. And she's like, what do you mean? What? You've like talked She didn't know that you're- No idea. And like everyone thinks, so maybe I'll just use this opportunity to let you know that my casting on New York Housewives had nothing to do with my casting on Dallas Housewives. It was a pure coincidence. But they say nothing is coincidence. I guess it's not. I don't know. And I was like, I, but yes. And I had been so relieved when Dallas got canceled because I really felt like it was not a good time for me. I was like- literally like two days sober. Literally. Literally like two days sober. And I was like, I feel like this is not a good situation. So when the New York came through, mm. how much time did you have? I mean, less than a year, but yeah, I, it's like a rough situation. Yeah, I didn't. Did you like the show? Were you like, I didn't like do, Oh, was I like a fan yeah. of the show? Yeah. Like I had watched some of the franchises over the years. I was never show. like a devotee. Okay. But, and like, I th- I would say within the past like four or five years, I really stopped watching reality TV just because I feel like so much of what I do like in the social media world, like I didn't like, that's not what I wanted to do with my off time. Um, Were you excited to do it? By the time that like it was really coming down to it, I was, I was really excited. Because you were Instagram famous. You have this pretty decent following and it's like, it's intoxicating. Well, more than the fame, because fame for me... Is, has always been a bit of a double-edged sword. It was like the opportunity to reach this mainstream audience that like I can't. Like 90% of the time I'm, you know, in an echo chamber. Like so what difference am I really making? But like here's an opportunity to really put my message out there to the world. You know, very naive, very idealistic. What can I say? But I'm sure um, there's some like there's a there's an intoxicating quality to getting attention. There's yeah. an intoxicating quality to to fame, to being known, to being beloved, to being. Yeah, in- I think it was like very surreal. Right. Like oh my god. Right. And I remember like when there started to be a couple press leaks, and I was like, I just couldn't believe it. Like, is this? It's when it started to feel real. Like. I don't know. And then, but then there was a part of me that was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to get out of this identity. Right. And like, I don't really want this identity forever. Like I, you know, and it, w- and it still could be, and it didn't even happen. Right. Like you started doing the show. Yeah. I mean, I do think that hopefully I'll be known as more than 
the girl who left Housewives after three weeks, but I um, don't think I don't mean it's like your identity. Yeah, I mean it's like it's you know Real Housewives of New York yeah. is, a, is a giant thing. Yeah, leaving it and like just the irony of it being this crazy diverse series and it and it ended because of the diversity because of outspokenness you know what i mean like it's yeah. uh it's annoying you yeah. know what i mean it's annoying well and i think one of the things i've learned in sobriety is that you know authenticity is the key to everything and so anytime that you're trying to force anything it's just it's hard so i mean i just i think people are not stupid i think people can always feel when something isn't right honest. Right, 100%. So I don't know. I mean, this is all just like my general thoughts. I'm not speaking about anything specific. Well, you haven't even said anything. Okay, you know, you didn't say anything. Ronit, Ronit would have stopped you. She would have stopped the whole thing. Um, pulled the mic out of my hand. Listen, I appreciate you coming through. Is there anything that you didn't say that you wish you had said? Um, yeah, I mean, God, how much more time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say is like for me – my sobriety is something that's very fragile and like it is very much like a day at a time, sometimes an hour at a time. And, you know, I can joke about it. That's how I deal with a lot of trauma in life. But I think that it's not, it definitely is not a joke like in and of itself. And like, it is, it is life or death for me. And, you know, I, I've worked really hard on being able to forgive myself for the things that happen. But because I know that if I don't, that shame just leads me right back to that same place. And so did you I do the steps? To. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. So I you did a nine them. step. I did. So, yeah. I mean, did you forgive yourself in it? Yeah, I haven't done um, my, I need to do like a action. I, I actually need to do that. Like a, what, like making an amends to yourself. What's what the it, living amends? Yeah. But I think this is all the living amends. Yeah. The living amends is how you function as a sober person in the universe. And yeah. I think like, and I mean, I certainly take my recovery incredibly seriously, even though I like to do a funny show about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think recovery is a joke and I don't think addiction is a joke, but I think one of my favorite, I mean, my favorite things about recovery, my favorite thing is that love and tolerance is our code. Like that's the most beautiful principle yeah. that there is. And then my other favorite thing is to be happy, joyous, and free because that's what we want. Yeah. You know, and then my other favorite thing is not is to wear it like a loose garment yeah. and not fucking go nuts. And yeah, I'm it's sure it's not a straight jacket. It's not a straight jacket. And like I'm sure like the perfectionist in you, oh, yeah. the six pounder on antibuse in yeah. you, it's like that's a weird thing, but it's also like relieving, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And it's to know like, you know, if I didn't do great last week, I'll try better this week. Like, but yeah, like it is, it is a very fragile thing. And I don't even think it really matters how much time you have. Like it really no, it is. Doesn't. It doesn't at all. Like at any point, if you decide that you're going to take it for granted, it's, you know, anything could happen. Like there's a lot of ways to talk about it too. Right. It's like, if you take your will back, I never liked that phrase. Yeah. But, um, makes I, sense to me though. It does. does yeah. to me too. There's a guy at, at the meeting that I go to and his name is Ray. And he called and he's he's Ray the Clamor. And he at the beginning of his share, he says, I'm an alcoholic and Ray is my problem. He says it every time. The That's first thing he so says. Funny. But the thing that he says that yeah. I really love. Lizzie is my problem. Right. Is that he says it, he says it whenever he shares that you can start your day over as many times as you want. I love that. You know, and I've like, heard that I love and that. like let it be fragile, but like hold it gently in your hand and it won't break. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what you do with fragile things. You're delicate and gentle with them. Exactly. So I hope I hope we didn't fuck with your sobriety at all. <laughs> Did you survive? Is oh my god, okay? have you ever had anyone like relapse from like? I mean, your... just I mean, not. Oh, don't I, answer that. Not that I know of. Okay. I mean, you're not going to with Ronit in your life and Doctor Iro. Yeah, she's my what bodyguard. What can go wrong? Are you sponsoring anybody yet? I'm not. Well, you'll 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 get there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm open to it. I for sure. Did you have fun? Yeah, this was this was pretty painless. I just hope I didn't say anything I'll regret. I'm sure Ronit will give me a list of Adderall. Ronit is upset about right. No, it's okay. Ronit, what was the what were the, if we're gonna interview Ronit oh, yeah. real? Let's quick. interview Ronit. What was the problem? She's the real here? star. Ronit, what was the problem with this interview? There was nothing wrong with it. She did amazing. I have nothing to critique. How did I do, Ronit? You did amazing. Thanks, Ronit. Did you ever see Lizzie shoot Adderall into her neck, Ronit? Never. Cocaine? Never. Heroin? Never. All right. Thank you, Roni. Thank you, Lizzie. I really appreciate your <laughs> thank time. Thank you so much. Right on. All right. That was Lizzie Savetsky. What did you think, Lowe's? You're a copious note taker. What was your opinion of Lizzie Savetsky? Was she hardcore enough? I mean, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say, was she hardcore enough mm-hmm. to be on Dopey? And you're going to say yes, and the audience is going to write me, Dear Dave, she definitely wasn't hardcore enough to be on Dopey. But was she hardcore enough to be on Dopey? Okay, here's my notes. Uh, I, I love Lizzie. I think Lizzie's amazing. I, I love Ronit. I was I was listening to it uh, last night in 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 bed and and my and, and my boyfriend was next to me and I like I told him I was like oh my god this is so funny like Dave keeps like telling this woman off um, and I kept like going like <laughs> and he was like is he telling Ronit off again <laughs> well Lizzie <laughs> Love that. Lizzie and Ronit show up to my father's apartment they're two small Jewish women uh, they're you know Lizzie is like a movie star. And Ronit's like, mm. like a quintessential assistant. And she like, she took looks, she takes care of her and they're both lovely. Uh, oh. Lizzie was excellent. Ronit was so sweet. I don't think Ronit's used yeah. to being engaged the way I engaged her. Uh, but I think she had fun. And she, she moved here from Texas to, to be oh. Lizzie's assistant. And they just have a cool, oh. weird partnership, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm very very team Ronnie. Like um, I she she was the star of the show for me. But anyway, about Lizzie, like so I I love this story because like I connect so much on the feelings. But like our lives could not have been more different. Like when when she was telling the story about the, you know I ordered the food and I didn't eat it, and I was like. And, and, and then you, you you vomited it and then you like threw it at your kids and then you rolled a bit naked in it. Like what? But like proportionally. Like, you know, the, the most fucked up shit that I've done, like, but like, I, like, you know, like yourself, like I, I was an isolated drinker and user. Like I had no life or career to speak of. I was not public. Like I was not the life or soul of the party at all. So like, you know, proportionally, like that was, yeah, as she said, like probably a huge deal. And then what I found funny, was like, you know, she was saying, you know, like, oh, that was the worst that it was. And then she told this heinous story of being, like, on Instagram live, like, drunk and on Adderall and being, like, belligerent with, like, someone whom I assume is very important. And, like, my skin was crawling. And I was like, so that, like, it's so funny how our brains arrange that information, though, isn't right? it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. For, for me, like, you know, there was... I've got into some heinous situations. Like I've literally chased men out of my house with knives. I like, I could say that like that, but like, you know, talking about my, like the, the, the thing for, for me, like the darkest moment of my life was that I couldn't do a show. Like I couldn't go on stage cause I was in withdrawal. 
And then that's like, you know, that's nowhere as near as bad as any of the things that I've done. But for me, like, that's like, that's the part that I want people to be like, oh, wow, you know, it's, so, so I really got her there. Um, yeah. And I really, the, the part that I really connected with was when you were both talking about um, when, when you're talking to yourself, when you're in the madness, we become a we. Right. Like, you know, it's like, okay, what are we going to do? And it reminds me, like, I used to record myself like in like my my shitty university laptop like I'd record myself talking to myself like okay laws like we got to get this together like you're supposed to be having the time of your fucking life like let's do it and it's just like that so it's like yeah like I I don't have a lot in common with Lizzie like I'm not a real housewife like I'm a real scumbag of East London but like it's I think that's the new I think that's the new spinoff show the real scumbags of East London (laughs) And then it's going to be the real scumbags of the Lower East Side, oh, the real scumbags of East you know LA, the real scumbags. Of, yeah, that could be a whole new new, new thing. I still have a scumbag mindset. Like I, I call myself all the time, like I'm a wee scumbag from Stranraer, but like visibly I'm now like quite, uh, you know, I, I fit a certain trope of individual from East London. I'm going to leave it there. And if you're from East London, you'd understand. Um, but yeah, like, so I don't, I, I don't have like a lot in common with her, but like the way that she described how she was feeling and something very important that I think she, she touched upon was shame. Yeah. Just like stigma and shame. Like I am so like, I feel like I should be someone that's got a lot to say about shame, but like, I've not crystallized my feelings about it yet. Cause obviously, you know, I'm from a shame based culture. Like just, just listen to me, but like, it's, it's really, I like the way that she talks about it. Like oh, it's and, so profound it, the way she talked about shame and the way she talked about fear and the way she talked about how, like, I mean, we have hardcore drug addicts on the show week in and week, week out, but the way she talked mm. about ending it and her family and her husband and the impact it all had mm. on her, I found it to be very powerful. And I I don't struggle with shame at all. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> at all. Yes. You know, it's I like, I mean, I, I, I should. You know what I mean? Like, I should. Like, I had a baby <laughs> in the house. My partner comes in mm. to, to find me and I have a needle in my lap and I'm like, you know, and I don't, mm-hmm. when I tell this story, oh, you know what happened? You want to hear something fucked up? It's really fucked up. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so me and my 13 year old are, 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 you know, I like to think we're pretty close and, um, yeah. and she's in this health class and the health class is like, she loves this health class. It's all like wellness and, 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 oh, and, yeah. and, and like life skills. And lately they're talking about drugs and she knows, Ooh. she knows, like I go to fucking meetings every morning, you know what I mean? And I, yeah, and she knows yeah. that Dopey <laughs> is the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. She knows. Oh my God, does she listen to it? No way. Is she allowed? She, <laughs> listen, she listens to me more than enough. She's not interested. She'll listen to it when I'm dead, you know? And then she'll be like, oh yeah, dad, I can listen to daddy. Um, oh but, my God, I'm crying. No, don't so cry. Beautiful. Don't cry. And maybe she won't. Maybe she won't listen to it when I'm dead. My point is. She, she's, not, she's not interested, but she says to me in the car, okay. we're driving home from the supermarket and she says to me, oh, daddy, you didn't use needles. You didn't use heroin with needles, did you? Because she's learning about oh. it. She's learning about it in health class. And even in that moment, I should have felt shame, you know, and I, I really didn't feel shame. I just said, I, I said, I really, I really. And I shouldn't, I, this is a breaking moment on Dopey, by the way. This is the kind of thing I don't usually oh tell. Oh, my God. So uh, I, I said, you know what, Nora? I shouldn't tell you. Uh, but yes, I did. 
<laughs> I did. And I told her. And she's like, and she's like, wow. And she goes, the health teacher says if you're addicted to heroin, it's like having a plastic bag on your head and you need to take it off to breathe. And you know, and I was like, yes, that's a very good, it's a very good analogy your health teacher had. But it was crazy. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Uh, but I didn't feel shame. I love. I didn't, yeah. I don't know. I don't, maybe I think there's something deeply wrong mm -hmm. with me. Like I'm a damaged person, but that's just how I am. You know, I love this podcast so much. I love every time I come on here. I'm such a, I have such a whale of a time. But maybe, maybe it's because you've like walked through that. Like, you know, you've, you've fully to use, like, I don't know, wellness, but like you fully embodied your experience. Like that's just another part of your past. I, I do. I've always felt like that. I don't know. I, I have, I, I can, I, I can't really, what, okay, let's play the shame game. What's something, oh, do you, okay. what's something do you have shame about? Oh my God. Um, I think the thing I have shame about is I had a colleague um, at one of my old workplaces and I, I really bullied her. Like I, I really, um, I just didn't, I, this is when I was about 18 and, uh, I'd been bullied my whole, I, I'm trying to like justify my actions. Yes. I just don't need to justify it, but I, I'd been like bullied my whole life. So I went to this new place and I, I was on a power trip and, uh, you know, I was doing it. Like I was like, I was feigning confidence and I thought to feign confidence, I'd have to bully someone that I saw as a little bit insecure or more insecure than I was. And, yeah, I, I was really, really, really cruel to her, and then uh, I stole her boyfriend. Wow! And then she liked she liked this other guy then who was also in work with us. Then I, I cheated on my boyfriend to sleep with the guy that she liked that wasn't my boyfriend. So, um, the yeah, both like of a them. So two guys. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Prodigious. So I, you know, like I just, I just really didn't like her. I thought that she was really like, and it's like. Most of the stuff in my life, like, you know, I've I've made a fair few amends and, you know, a lot of that stuff, like those relationships are are really good. So like I can, you know, the, some of the stuff that I used to harbor enormous amounts of shame, that's just a part of a relationship now and we've now moved past it. But like, there's a few instances like that and like I, I couldn't have made an amends to her because I'm blocked on every platform and I am taking that as a message that she does not want to hear from me and I do not blame her. Um, but that is still an area that like... You know, and I'll make a living amends. I don't cheat on my boyfriend. I don't bully people. But like, you know, that that story, just like every time I think about it, I just get that darkness, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like that. That's a good story. The predatorial cheating. You hear legend of that kind of thing, but you rarely hear it in action. So I'm, I'm very, I, I think you need to, I think there's something that people don't do, which is to send a nice fruit basket. Maybe you can find out where she lives and send a nice fruit basket anonymously and uh, and your work is done. <laughs> and then you'll find her husband and have sex with him. <laughs> no, I'm just oh kidding. Oh, my gosh. You know I'm going to write a short story about that. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Um, no, I appreciate that. And, and, I, and I appreciate Lizzie. And, and I appreciate every heroin addict and crackhead in Dopey Nation that's going to say that Lizzie wasn't hardcore enough. I think you should go back and listen to her again. <laughs> Because I think she really was honest and I think she played yeah. ball, you know, and, and also like when you're mm -hmm. like this woman who's in, you know, in the limelight, in, you know, in the 
She gets right. attention and she comes down to my dad's grungy apartment. My dad's apartment Aww. used to be nice, but since my mom died, I'm sorry, my dad's listening. I'm sorry, dad, but that apartment <laughs> is not well kept up. I was embarrassed to have Lizzie over there. Of course, you have to know, Lowe's. Lowe's, you need to know that my dad had been out of the country for six months and I was taking care of the on apartment. He went on a cruise. Oh, Dave. He, he, yeah, so it's, it was disgusting because I didn't take a good care of it. So I know that's what my father's thinking. I just want to be transparent. You should feel shame there. You should, you should that's... Uh, okay, I feel a little shame. I, I oh feel... Oh my God, did I just live shame you? That's so against my brand. I'm so sorry for live shaming you. I feel, I feel a little shame. <laughs> I feel a little shame in blaming. I don't. I was going to say I feel I feel a tiny little bit of shame in blaming my father for my heroin addiction on dopey. But I really don't. I feel I feel OK with it. I feel very I feel like that's on brand as well. Yeah, I feel good about it. Do you know what? Yes. What I will say about Lizzie and why I admire her. So when I started my Instagram, right, I was fucking no one. Like, I was literally just a woman with one friend, a boyfriend, and a filthy flat that could make memes about being in recovery. Like, and, you know, so, and, and then it grew and, and all of that stuff and, like, I still kind of am no one like in my job. Like I'm not trying to be anyone, but like, so to me putting myself on the line saying like, hiya, like I've lived a heinous existence and I'm trying to do a little bit better. Like that's not kind of a big deal for me because, you know, but, but for her, she's really putting herself on the line. And I admire that. Like, and the way that she talks about like her, her husband's reaction and the, the event community, also that uh, Jewish crazy community. Right. Oh my God. You know, it's so funny. Is I, I, you said it through on Wednesday, and that's the day that I work in Edgeware, which I only teach Jewish people there. Um, and like, I'm telling you, like, before I was 21 and I moved to America, I'd met one Jewish person in my whole life. So when this was. <laughs> You said something like, this isn't like Jewy, the podcast about Jewish things. And I'm like, that made me laugh so much. Because like, there's so much I don't understand about Jewish culture um, and Jewish life. Uh, and I, I still don't, but it was it was nice to see a little insight into the uh, into the culture there. You really don't see Scottish Jews. There's a lot of English Jews. No. Uh, there's a mess of uh, yeah. English Jews. There's not a lot of Scottish Jews, though. It's interesting. Well, I, I'm sure they're there, but like, it's, I'm telling you, like, I um, the the only Jewish person that I knew, uh, she was American, and she'd moved to Scotland. And Amazing. When what was her name? Like, her name was Eve. Um, <laughs> shout out to Eve. She was one of my best friends. Um, did she have a very Jewish? Yeah, so like, did she have a very Jewish last name? She did. I'm not going to say it just to protect. Was her it Rosenberg? Um, <laughs> it wasn't Rosenberg. Was it Edelman? <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you. I'm gonna go down every. Is it Schwartz? <laughs> well, I, I lived. I lived with a, a, a Schwartz uh, in uni, um, and yeah, uh, she was. She was like the second Jewish person that I ever met. Um, but yeah, but there, like, I teach like five Yonatans. I teach like four Ariellas and Noahs, um, and. Yeah, it's it's really great because I get lots of days off because they're always celebrating something. Um, and <laughs> yes. Shout really out, nice. shout out to Jews. Um, but no, I think I think uh, I'm pleased. I, I would love to meet some Scottish Jews. And if if there's anyone out there, where are you? Yeah, where yeah. where is the lost tribe of Israel in, in Scotland? We're <laughs> we're looking for you. Uh, 
if you are out there, please write an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Also, I forgot to oh, say, yeah. I forgot to say we have this nonprofit foundation up and running. So if you want fucking Narcan or fentanyl test strips, we can send it to you. So again, write a, an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com and I'm shipping them. It's happening. It's, ha- it's all happening. And then. Fuck yes, Dave. Thank you. And then uh, we got a voicemail because we've been talking. There's been a lot of talk about kratom. How do they pronounce kratom across the pond? Oh, I see. They so they said uh, they said uh, kratom. I have never heard this word said out loud. I'm going to be perfectly it's honest. Just um, but I thought it was kratom. Right. I thought it was kratom, kratom until kratom? I heard people talk saying it. So we got this kratom. voicemail from Logan. His name is, and let's play it. You with me, Lowe's? Oh, let's go. All right. Cool. Hey, what's up, Dave? This is Logan from upstate New York. Uh, I'll try to keep this under five minutes, but I really wanted to send you something about uh, my Kratom history and use. Uh, I don't hear a lot about it, and it's something that I struggled with for a long time. Uh, I had gone through a few rehabs before. Um, I was mandated the first couple times and just kept messing up. My thing was opiates. I really loved pills and all types of, I would do anything really. I was a huge garbage head, but um, after getting out, I got into Coke and dope, uh, did heroin for a while, a little while, not too long. Um, But that was my thing, opiates, big time. So I went, my mom convinced me to go back to rehab again, voluntarily. I went through it, went through a halfway house, started to change my life around for the better and things were going pretty good. Um, I started smoking weed before I even got out of there, uh, like a week before spent about a year or so smoking weed, got into the psychedelics pretty heavy. Um, but things were going okay. You know, I wasn't like super depressed or anything. And I, I noticed looking back, I felt definitely pretty blah, um, being away from like a program and, recovery in general because I, I loved being involved but uh so anyway the kratom deal started when I got off my uh antidepressant meds I, I was like oh well, I need something to help me with the little bit of withdrawal and uncomfortability and I, I'll try kratom you know I tried it once before didn't think much of it so I got some kratom and was messing around with it I you know I didn't think it was too addictive um but I did start to love it and I did it all the time. Um, kind of first it was on the weekends and I start to do it eventually it became every day and I just became obsessed with it. Absolutely obsessed with it. I was researching all types of different strains, where to get it from and brands and ordering it offline. And it was my life, dude, it was terrible. And to anybody in the dopey nation, I warn you, do not get involved in Kratom. Um, it was so bad for me, like worse than anything else I had done uh, because and because it was in gas stations, it was so easy to get, you know. But anyway, my my day to day life became waking up feeling like absolute shit. Most of the time I'd wake up in a sheer panic, drenched in sweat, th- waking up to a dream of getting stabbed or some crazy nightmare. And I, I was just, it was wild. I couldn't sleep. I'd have to wake up in the middle of the night and do it because I'd start withdrawing. I was puking every morning because my stomach was so messed up with eating all this plant matter and 
it was just hell. I'm not to mention the depression was was just immense. It was so terrible. And, um, you know, I haven't done it in quite a few months now. Um, I, I got back into 12 step and and uh, that's where I've always had most success. And I, I had quite a few relapse now. So up until January. Um, so I have coming up on three months here, but, uh, I kept relapse and I got onto naltrexone, finally got off the Kratom. I did a Suboxone taper off the Kratom, like a two milligram thing. And, um, I just kept relapsing on the Kratom. I would buy it and then I would be like, what the hell am I doing? This is making me feel like shit. And then I would throw it out and it was a daily thing. Sometimes I'd make a couple days, sometimes a week, maybe a month or two. But it was absolute hell, and the only thing I ever thought about was Kratom all the fucking time, dude. Fuck that shit. I'm so grateful. I am beyond grateful to be off of it. It's been about seven, eight months since I've done it. But I did keep relapsing on the naltrexone on different things. Um, Weed, I struggled with big time trying to quit smoking weed. I really had a hard time with that. And after relapsing on pills here and there, um, I ended up getting on Suboxone again. And now, you know, I know some people are controversial about that, but I've been doing pretty good on it. Um, coming up on three months without anything else, going to my 12-step involved, actually got a sponsor this time, and I'm, I'm jumping into it. And um, things are going pretty good. You know, I do worry about the subs a little bit sometimes, like, Am I screwing myself in the long run? But my thing is that I haven't picked up and I haven't been thinking about Kratom every day or doing it. And so I'm definitely blessed to be where I'm at. And uh, I'll cut it off because I'm at five minutes. But thank you, man, for Dopey. Fucking love the show. Uh, I was just listening to it and uh, I listen to it every day. And it's helped me a million times. And it actually helped me. I can say it helped me get back into recovery this time um through different things i heard on it and uh a few interviews and stuff but i'll shut up now much love to the dopey nation stay strong fucking toodles for chris love you guys yeah that shit like makes me cry you know what i mean it's like it's so emo- it's yeah. so emotional when uh when people like the show and they say it it's like when i watch tv shows right and at the end of the tv mm-hmm. show it's like graduation and people actually care about you <gasps> i cry I like, I literally like, and that's the other thing. I feel like in England and in Scotland and in Ireland, people have always said literally, and people here have always said literally, and now they need (gasps) to sound smart and say literally. Have you noticed this, Lowe's? Literally. You say say literally. I say literally. All all of my dumb friends who said literally their whole lives are now going literally. I'm like, who the fuck are you? You want a spot of tea? Um, Anyway, let's get let's get to this Logan thing. Logan literally almost made me cry. (laughs) Uh, What's your what I want to know first is like when you listen to Logan, does Mm -hmm. your Instagram world come to life? Do you have the, you're hearing everything that's in this world of recovery addiction memes right there. Mm-hmm. I feel like, does it, does it do that for you or no? Oh my God. That's such a good question. I feel like, so, so here's the thing, like with, um, when I'm like being Instagram self, like I, something I'm very careful of is like, I try and not like plunder other people for content. Like it's, it's, uh, you know, I try to make it like my own 
experience. And and but I am I'm really, really glad like that I, I think like Logan's story needs to be told. Like I, I think like I I love shit like that. And I I think the thing that he said that like I liked the most was like I'm I'm just blessed to be where I am. Like I think like, you know, uh, a fucking men, like like every every faltering step that any of us like takes along the road, like sometimes forward, sometimes back, but like it's it, we're, we're literally literally <laughs> still doing it now. Uh, just so yeah, blessed to be where I am, and like fucking crass home, crazy home. Like I I, I I've never taken crazy home. Like that that. I, I don't know, like it's <laughs> why do I sound so like geriatric? Like, is this a new thing? Like I that was never it's a gun. I think it's I think it's like ten years old, maybe seven years old, oh, okay. eight years old. I, when we started doing this, I didn't know about it until we had done the show for a bit and I started getting emails about it. It's like mm. a, it's like a, an herbal supplement that they sell in weed shops that hits you oh. like simultaneously somehow like an upper and a downer and then you get addicted to it and they have all these different things yeah exactly and but it's legal you can get it in every gas station and and if you and you put it they put it in their smoothies every morning scoops of this powder into their smoothies and then they i think most people get a hit on it like it's like a speed like ephedrine or something like a like a upper and then, but I heard that if you do enough, it hits you like an opiate. And everyone that I know that that is dependent yeah. on it, when they stop taking it, they get really sick, mm. like it's an opiate. So I think it needs oh, to be Jesus. talked about. I'm hearing from more and more yeah. people in Dopey Nation about it. And um, I, I I know that when I was using, like, did did you do ephedrine? Was ephedrine a thing in the UK? Mm, it was like speed. No, it was like trucker. It was under a different I'm name. I'm sure it was. It was like, truck, trucker speed. Yeah, it was probably, yeah. Trucker speed. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was maybe Dexedrine there or something. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It was one of those like little pills, like a diet pill or a wake up pill or whatever. And I would take mm-hmm. that, but I never like bought anything over the counter. Like, or I got it, all my drugs, I got it legally. So, like, and, and, and that, you know, no shame to That's anybody. The fun part. Right. Well, it's part, <laughs> it's part of it. It's like the quest for the mythical. Uh, substance or whatever, but everyone out there—it's the Peach Show quote. Like the secret ingredient is crime, right? Like, that's that's <laughs> anyway. Uh, as you were saying, sorry, I interrupted you. No, the the see, what is Peep Show? Oh my god, Peep Show is a UK comedy. It's like I don't know if you'll find it funny, but I think it's the funniest fucking shit on earth. It's just like a very awkward man and about them just not doing well at life oh and there's this character there's, there's a crackhead in it called super hands and uh he's 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 just wonderful i really want you to watch it now i'm going to send you clips is it on uh, but yeah, is there's it the character- yeah yeah it's it's from the it's from the early 2000s um so it's it's like just that deliciously like dated uh but like captured a moment in time sort of situation uh i would recommend it's it's delightful uh, i really really love it all right and so. I, want, I want to thank Logan uh, for that, his Kratom story. And I want to congratulate Logan on his time. And that I, and I also want to Yay. thank him for saying that Dopey's done him any good. I love hearing that. Mm. Uh, and that was a great voicemail. So Logan is a good, Logan also sent in a voicemail about sneaking out of rehab 
to go in the middle of the night to go to the drugstore to buy the coracetum cough syrup and, and drink a ton of it and then sneak back in. And I put that, it was going to be on another episode, but we wound up putting it on a Patreon show. So Logan, if you're listening, mm. you know, sign up for Patreon. You could hear Ray and I discussing that uh, story, but it's a good story. So, if, and that's another reason that people should nice. sign up for Patreon. If you love Dopey and you want more Dopey in your life, you could get it really cheap. Uh, and then there's more news, Lowe's. More news. You ready? Uh, <gasps> this weekend, Dopey Nation celebrates its third year of doing the Dopey Nation Zooms, which they do 26 Zooms a week. Oh. 26 Zooms a week, Lowe's. Oh. And this weekend is a, a, a Dopey Nation Zoom marathon. And we I'm doing a Zoom nice. Saturday night at nine Eastern standard time. If you want to come, I'll, I'll send you a message. Maybe you pop in and say hello to the folks. It'll be, I don't know what time that is. It's too late. Yes. It's the middle of the night. It's fucking four in the morning. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, also, I'm a slut for a bedtime. Yeah, so me too. I, me I too. might, I'm the biggest bedtime slut that's ever been. <laughs> Wait, what time's your bedtime? Uh, 10 30. Oh, 10 30. Nice. 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 That's a good one. But this is very, yeah. but do you know a lot of people that get up like you do early, early, early? No, I'm the outlier of my friends. It's, uh, it's pain. No, actually it's not painful. It's really fucking beautiful because like between the hours of like seven and eight, I am unfucking bothered. No one is talking to me. I get a blissful hour completely devoid of human contact. And I need that shit because I talk to a lot of people every day and that gets overwhelming. So it's like, if I have that hour of my morning, that's like just for me and God, I'm, I'm set. So it's actually a blessing. I didn't like it when I was young and I think I used to try to sleep later and it never really worked out. Now I like it. I want to ask you one more controversial question before this episode Ooh. is over. It's not like that. It's not, <laughs> a it's not a juicy, it's not a juicy question. It's more like you just said when you have the extra hour in the morning for you and God, when did that mm -hmm. become a thing? Like, were you always like that? Uh, absolutely not. No, like uh, my, I mean, I, I, I like, you know, when, when I got sober, like I was quite intrigued by the, by the spiritual side of things. Cause I'd, I'd always loved spirituality. I just had never really used it. Um, I just thought that it was like pretty and like, you know, um, so when it, when I got sober and it was like, okay, like, are you going to enhance your spiritual life? Like, I was like, fuck yeah. Like that sounds, that sounds exciting. So, you know, like I, it's, it's changed a lot, like over the years, like, it's, it's really interesting when you when you talk to me with Lizzie about like you know using actual like Judaism like in the with the idea of like higher power because in my second year of sobriety like, this is a controversial thing to say like I really depended on Catholicism in, in my second year of sobriety like my my God in my second year was God with a capital G you know so like um it's it's not anymore but like <laughs> I needed it then like that that was that got me through some really hard times. Uh, so, so like, yeah, my, um, like my morning practices to like line up with my higher power, like, it's just very woo. Like I just read a ton of daily reflections. Like I do yoga, I meditate, I do Tai Chi now. Like, nice. and I just get into the flow of fucking life. How often, how, just often, like, yeah. how often are you doing Tai Chi? Oh my God. Tai Chi is my new favorite thing. Uh, I've been doing it for, uh, what day am I on? I'm on day like, uh, 48 or something. You're like, I'm on day two. So, <laughs> It's my favorite thing. <laughs> I mean, I've been learning. I've been learning Japanese for two days, and like everyone I meet, I'm like, I'm learning Japanese. I've literally just said it on a podcast. Like, 
<laughs> I'm a Tai Chi. I've been doing that for 40 something days uh, and I've been doing about 15 minutes and I'm absolutely loving it. Like I'm working on my posture. Every day you're Tai chi for day. 48 days for 15 minutes. Yep. Incredible. I love a habit. Like I, if you, you give me a habit, I will build that shit. Like I'm so into consistency. <laughs> Why do I sound like the most boring person of all time? Like, so that is amazing. <laughs> I love a habit. I love that. <laughs> um, I think that's the end of the show. My little daughters just came in. So we're going to say thank you, Lowe's. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, Logan. And uh, this has been amazing. I've appreciated every second. Has this been the greatest time of your life, Lowe's? This has been such a wonderful way to spend an evening. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you, Lowe's. And we say stay strong, Dopey Nation. And we say fucking toodles for Chris. (laughs) Toodles for Chris. So we ended the show... And, and me and my father just got in this huge fight, and now he's back on the show. Welcome back to the show, Dad. Yes. Well, yes. I feel I feel good to be back home. You do? Not the fight with my son. Oh, God. He's so critical. It's a, it, it drives <laughs> someone to heroin, the amount of criticism. <laughs> this, this, it's crazy. Hey, what do you call it? He had, Dopey Nation. He asked me if I had any criticism of the show. So I said, yeah, by the way, I don't think he should do this. And bingo, so he say, calls say, me a name. He says, Terrible. He says what I do is... I listen to the guest, I, I interpret what the guests say, and then I say what they said again. And he says, you do that too much, and instead, you should ask an insightful question. That's what you're saying, right, Dad? No, well, you always ask insightful oh, questions. Oh, now, you, now <laughs> you're trying to be, now you want to be <laughs> no, nice. No, I'm, I'm being truthful. No, what I'm saying is, is that sometimes you interpret what you think the guest is saying, and you're not right. Uh, in the so what you're so what you're so now I'm getting the gist of oh, this. It's about the gist time. is that you listen to the guest. Yeah. And you say, I know what this guy is saying. No. Shush. And then I say it and you say, Oh my God, David was totally wrong. You're saying that your interpretation differs than mine of what the guest says. So you're assuming that I'm wrong. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely so not. What are I you don't trying assume, to say? I don't assume anything of what the guest is saying. I, 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 that's so how do you think or why do you think I'm wrong then? Because the guest sometimes says, no, that's not what I mean, David. But that's good show if they say that. I know, that. but sometimes it's just repeating, it's just making your, your prediction. You're making a prediction that is indicating that you really know what they're thinking. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. I'm just saying you do it too often. That's all. Well, you know what I think you do? too often <laughs> yes it's criticized too much it's yes. unbelievable he goes to he goes on vacation <laughs> he comes back with a bag one thing is uh, some legal drug from argentina it is yerba not. mate it's this tea. this this over caffeinated caffeine and then he says look what i got for my grandkids he takes out used coconuts that he had drinks in as a gift for his grandkids. Very unusual. It's amazing. It's unusual <laughs> for a grandfather to bring their grandchildren garbage from the trip. It's not garbage. That's it happens unusual. To be, it happens to be something very, very special. Explain <laughs> it to the Dopey Nation what you did. I was in this nice place, yes. and they had these coconuts that had coconut milk in it. Yes. With did, na- you, did you drink the coconut milk? Absolutely. Okay. And then, so what did you bring back? I brought back the empty coconuts with the straw that could be clean, and they 
they could be filled with juice. So or, you didn't clean them either. Not yet. So you brought back dirty. This old, not dirty. It's a coconut. Did you ever have like a, a milk container and bring back the carton for your grandkids? Absolutely not. No. This is a sad day. <laughs> no, you couldn't buy like a T-shirt from the trip. I, listen. So you let's get let's make this clear. Do. You're saying you brought back used coconuts for my I'm, children. They, they, the coconuts can be reused. I mean, it's not just a one-time, one thing. The Here. coconuts are perfectly fine to use. Here, we have we have a special guest, Doug, Doug Bobst, from the Adversity Advantage. Come here really quickly. You don't have any children. Uh, you have parents. If your father came back from a trip with used coconut shells for the kids, what would you have to say about it? I would think it was kind of unique. But I would also maybe think that there was a special meaning behind it. It's that he's cheap. That's the meaning. What's the special meaning? The meaning, the meaning is not that I was cheap. Do you want them to refill it with, with, what, with what? They could just put it on the shelf. Nora would just like to have a coconut on her shelf. It would be very nice. <laughs> yeah, she might. Do you think Susie yeah, would? Yeah, Susie would love it also. And coconut is very special. They don't have to reuse it or anything. Maybe a, a, a new coconut. It shows meaning on my part of how I love my grandchildren. That's that's that's, that's really nice. Dad. Yes, now, right. do you want to hear something really interesting before we get to the reviews? You know about this uh, chat GPT? Oh, it's I think it's really bad. Well, why why is it bad? Because it it, it sometimes gives information that is totally wrong. Check this out. Yeah. Jake, the owner of Katz's, says to me, David, I need you to rewrite the entire catering menu, and I want you to do it. Uh, in the voice of a, a borscht belt comedian, wow. thinking that I'm capable of such a thing. <laughs> so, you, so I start writing, and I realize I'm not capable <laughs> of this. So I go on chat GPT, and I say, can you write the description of a hot meat platter in the voice of a borscht belt comedian? You want to hear what they wrote? What? You ready? Hold yeah. on. Hold on. Say something to Doug. Hold on. <laughs> I don't okay. Kill time for a second. Hold on. No, you ready? No, I'm waiting. Okay, you, you ready? Yeah. You ready for this? Yeah. This is, and this is, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a hot meat platter that's hotter than a sauna in Miami Beach. We've got handcuffed pastrami so juicy you'll be schwitzing like a shtetl in August. And don't even get me started on the corned beef. It's so tender you think you'll be chewing on a cloud. But wait, there's more. This, they messed up the Yiddish here. We've got brisket that's so moist you'll be making more schmaltz than your bubby's chicken soup. And if you're feeling a little bird-brained, try some turkey that's more succulent than a Barbara Streisand ballad. Let's not forget about the sides. We've got pickles that are so sour, they'll make your face pucker faster than your rabbi can say, oy vey. <laughs> that's really good. Isn't that amazing? It's fabulous. That's the golden age of robotic artifacts. Oh, and yeah. then I asked them to write a description in the, in the voice of a black comic, and they said they can't because that's racist. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Very nice. No, no, it's that, that, that was really amazing. You're amazed at their at their shtick. Oh, it's good at their ability. But, uh, all right, all right. So here we go. Um, and this, you know, we have a very Jewish guest this week on the show, and she's not a, a, a she's not a heroin addict. She's just an alcoholic. So I think there'll be a little bit of blowback. But she was a wonderful guest, Lizzie Savetsky. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, hold on, hold on. You're gonna you want to read reviews? I'm, I, well, Do you want to say anything else about me interrupting too much and my no, not no. insightful Look, fucking he, interpretation I, I, and all this I, shit? I, I I didn't say you interrupt too much. All I'm all I'm saying is you're doing a wonderful. No, job. this woman on Instagram said I uh, interrupt. Too I know, much. but she's a little bit behind the times. You used to interrupt a lot, not anymore. I interrupted you a lot. 
Well, yeah. Well, All right, here we go. Here we go. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Here. Uh, these are all new. There's a bunch of new uh, ones. Were you excited to see the new reviews, Dad? I haven't seen them. You, I, I didn't see anything this week at all. I haven't seen any of these. These look all new is to me. All right, so the So Good by Hazelnut Munchies. Dopey keeps me company, keeps me laughing, and sometimes crying, and truly helps to eradicate the sting of shame out of my own addictions. It's been the one podcast I haven't burned out on. Thanks, Dave, and toodles for Chris. Very nice. You like that, Dad? Yeah. You want to read another one, or you want to give me some more criticism? I don't have any more. You can't. Never mind. I don't have any more Wait, criticism. Wait, what is your criticism? My I, my criticism is, is that you don't accept criticism. I accept <laughs> criticism. Fine. Do you want to read another one, or are you good? Uh, what do you want? I mean, is there one that you want me to read? Not per I mean, there's one I would love you to read. Do you want oh, to read one? Sorry. No, we're not getting into that. All no. right, so read one more, and then we'll All call right, it a day. Okay, this is my... You're, I know what you're doing right now. You're scanning the reviews and looking for your name. <laughs> I'm not doing Admit that. it, admit it. I am not. Admit it. <laughs> no, I am... I, Dad, not, sorry. Dad, <laughs> hold on. Be truthful for a second. Right. Are you scanning the reviews and looking for your name? No, I'm You're not. a liar. <laughs> you, you, so Just be going, honest. I am not. No. I'm, I'm going to interpret what you're saying, <laughs> and I'm going to come back and say, I don't think you're being truthful. I don't see my name anyway. All right. <laughs> Hold on. So, yeah, we're good. We're good. All, All right. right. All right. All right. Stay strong. He doesn't want to relation. read another one because he doesn't see his name. Admit no. it. Just admit it. Please. I mean, I mean, let me rephrase the question. When you read the review... Do you enjoy seeing when they shout you out in the review? Absolutely, yes. And when you pick a review to read on the show, would you say it's more often that you pick the ones that shout you out? It could be. <laughs> and and let me ask one final question. When you were reading these reviews, were you looking for your <laughs> no, name? No, I wasn't. You're so dishonest. You're not good. <laughs> I can't see that well. Okay, I really can't see that well. That's terrific. Thank you, Dad. All right. Um, thank you, Mr. Bobst. Uh, we will look forward to having you on the show very soon. And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris.
Magenta.